this is an impossible uh, comparison I'm about to come up with. Okay, just bear with me. Okay, you know, like movies like She's All That, where. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. This episode of the Sincast is brought to you by NatureBox. Go to naturebox.com slash Sincast to get 50% off your first order. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Yowza! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello! You know what? <laughs> you know what? Technically, you're also part of CinemaSins, too, and I and I hate sometimes, <laughs> you know, just singling you out as Music Video Sins, because you are a part of the CinemaSins as well. Part of family. But it makes it easier to describe you. That's also everything. where you can find him on Twitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Barrett runs the Music Video Sins Twitter, and... Um, a lot of people think it's just me talking to myself. Yes, they yeah, do. that's Still. such a weird thing. Like, like, yeah, like I would invent an entirely other account. That's how I'm going to spend so that, my time. Yeah, so that I can just talk back and forth and like in a different voice. I've always wanted to do it in different writing than I normally do. It's my alter ego. My friend Kevin, uh, back in like 2000, maybe 99, he and I used to have our computers in the same room. Um, and we would go into the same chat room and pretend not to know each other and then have this huge fight. It was awesome. The turn of the century internet fights. I was going nice. to say, you know, back when Yahoo chat rooms were like a thing, people actually did. Uh, showing my age. Um, so today we're going to continue our March Madness. Let the games begin! The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh. You're excited. Feel these nipples. Madness. That's right. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, continue the East region and hopefully finish it. <laughs> How many do we have left? <laughs> I think we got four. Right. Uh, we ought to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. We got four. We, we got might four even matchups. get it. We might even get in the South region if we're lucky. But right. uh, we're going to at least finish up the East region today. And uh, let's see. We left off at uh, the five and twelve. So we're going to do the 6 and 11 uh, today. The 6 and 11, uh, six seed is There Will Be Blood Ooh. versus number 11, Lost in Translation. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, wow. This is probably going to be tougher on Chris and I than it is on Jeremy. Yeah, I'm not a, like the biggest Lost in Translation guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, Lost in Translation, no longer a poster up here in the studio. Yeah. We changed them all out. We changed them all now out. Now Toy Story's in its place. Yeah. Toy yeah. Story's in its place. We got American Beauty, Saving Private Ryan, The Dark Knight, Drop of Thunder. All right. So um, number six, There Will Be Blood. Now, There Will Be Blood uh, always comes up in the conversation for me personally as one of the best movies of the new millennium mm -hmm. uh, rightfully so now i you know we're only 17 years into it mm -hmm. so that means there's you know 990 <laughs> something years left to go <laughs> 983 to be exact uh but anyway uh it is it is this is paul thomas anderson basically i remember him saying uh, you know, I, and I, I love, I loved my experiences with Boogie Nights and Magnolia and everything, but I started getting bored with how I was writing. Mm -hmm. He was like, I just, everything sounds like me every single time I wanted hmm. to try something different and there will be blood 
which is loosely based on Upton Sinclair's oil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very important punctuation there. <laughs> it's like, wham! Yeah, exactly. Oil! And, uh, um, and the teapot dome scandals uh-huh. uh, back in the day and everything. It's a it's it's sort of a throwback to those old family oil movies that came out in the 50s and stuff like that. Only this time it's like how far it w- will someone go mm-hmm. to to build an empire. Yeah. And in with the and uh, under the uh hands of uh, Daniel Plainview under Daniel Day-Lewis's uh acting and everything, it's as far as it possibly can go. Yeah, I was going to say pretty fucking far. <laughs> it's a masterclass. Like he's done everything he does is terrific. I mean, starting with the unbearable lightness of being, which is not his first film, but first time I saw him and then, you know, My Left Foot, Gangs of New York was terrific a, a few years prior to this. But it just it just doesn't get any better than this when it comes to enjoying a performance than uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in this. It's it's epic. It's sinister the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dangerous. It's under control almost the entirety of the time. It's diabolical. I mean, it's everything. But you're still kind of rooting for him at times, too. Yeah. And, I mean, it, because it's told almost solely through his perspective. And from from the very beginning, when you see him, when he's you know going into that silver mine shaft and everything, silent fifteen minutes almost mm-hmm. on the um, dialogue free at least, and then to the the very ending line, which is not spoiling it, I'm finished. Yeah, mm. uh, has you riveted the yeah. entire time. Yeah, he's fantastic. This is probably I think his best performance. In, I think in a so. Yeah. Career full of performances most actors would be jealous of. Mm. Uh, and we talked about this at length when we did 2007. This was a great year. Mm-hmm. This movie, I believe, won when did. we did yep. our best of the year thing. Uh, but we had Gone Baby Gone and No Country for Old Men. Yeah. It was just stacked yeah. with great drama. Uh, and then, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, we have Lost in Translation, mm-hmm. which I don't think has much great drama. I don't know. I don't think it's trying to. No. Um, you guys love this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think part of what what makes this movie appealing is Scarlett Johansson just sort of pulls you in, right? And mm-hmm. you sort of go on this wayward, you know, listless journey with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the most the movie might have to say is that everyone gets lost sometimes, right? Yeah. As kind of a nationalist perspective, especially in America, something like India or Japan or Russia or something like that, not, you know, Western Europe, uh, is so foreign to us that we don't usually we're not usually able to dive in uh and see that kind of world and what this does is gives you that perspective for an american in particular uh into japan and tokyo and that kind of thing uh by you know kind of making fun with the the whole lost in translation between the the languages and everything uh the it encapsulates it when that scene where uh, bill murray is talking with the director to do the centauri yeah. commercial yeah and he's like oh yeah do this, and uh, he's like, what, "What do you want me to you, you, slower, slower, faster? Yeah. What, yeah. You know, what do you want me to do?" And but it's not at the expense of that culture. It's it's almost like you know this is what would actually happen. We can laugh about it, but you know we're not laughing at them or anything, right? And that and and uh, we know some. We know at least one person who knows Japanese who yeah. says that it's me. It, I just I just spoke Japanese. Oh yeah, that's that right. Was beautiful, wasn't right. it? Right. It was totally Barrett. Um, <laughs> but no, like that says that. 
the translation is pretty much word for word uh-huh. in that like like the d- these long like you know long-winded things that have really no direction in it like uh-huh. you know turn to camera and <laughs> yeah. you know like a good friend and uh with more intensity you know um that you know those are actually the real like directions he's getting and everything um i i am lost in translation i've always said this about it like because i don't usually like movies like this i usually mm. don't like movies with no story in it there's right. no story in, no. The, in lost in translation really. all it is 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 scarlett johansson is with her like you know terrible husband who always has to go out and work while mm-hmm. they're out out in japan and and bill murray is in like this you know long like you know like like loveless marriage now mm-hmm. and like he's going out to do a santori commercial for the money and it's just these two people who find each other and there's really no there's really no expectation, I guess, on the audience that we're expecting them to go to bed by the end of yeah. it. You know, it's yeah. like we really kind of wanted to them to keep it like this yeah. the entire time. Um, but there's something about it. There's something beautiful and poetic about this movie. And I'm always wrapped up into it. And the scene where she goes to that, like those gardens and she's like walking yeah. across the little lily pad things yeah. or whatever. I just get sucked into all that. It's yeah. like a, it's like a, a travel log for Japan. Yeah. And I you know, like instantly want to go there yeah. and everything, even though there's not much really wrapping me up as far as story is concerned. Um, so it's a movie that typically I would hate, but for whatever reason, Sofia Coppola really pulls this off and it's hard to pull off. Yeah. You know, all of her movies have something. Mm-hmm. Right. Like even the ones like I don't think any of them work as well as this as Lost in Translation does. Yeah. But I, like I told you guys, I was watching uh, Marie Antoinette yeah. was on TV again the other day. And even that movie has moments and shots where I'm like, wow, that's kind of brilliant. Yep. I see. And she's really good at building mood. Mm-hmm. And the Virgin Suicides is maybe the best example of that. And Lost in Translation is kind of like all of her best tricks coming together cohesively. Yep. What I like about the movie is that it shows us two very similarly lost and wayward, <laughs> aimless people mm-hmm. in two completely different parts of their life and for completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I love how fucking over it bill murray is. Like, yeah. you know what i mean like almost the he does not give a fuck right about pretty much anything and that's part of why they click i think yeah and we've talked about this before and this has been widely speculated that this was based on like some real thing that happened to her in her life because she was married to spike jones mm. giovanni rabisi's playing a guy who's like a music video director yeah. which is what spike jones was um and uh anna ferris is basically playing cameron diaz in this and there's a lot of like you know inference that you know cameron diaz and spike jones like you know in as anna ferris and and uh, giovanni rabisi or whatever these characters had something that they you know yeah. had some affair or something there's like us the part where they like all run in each other in the lobby and anna ferris is like like basically like flirting with him yeah. or whatever and he like goes over to scarlett johansson and like starts doing all that <laughs> yeah <laughs> she means nothing to me um uh is uh you know is sort of a telling type of thing of course she's denied it i mean what else is she gonna do it's one of those type of things it's a perpetuating yeah. circular argument basically yeah you know um but uh but it would make a it would make sense as to why it's so good if it's something that personally happened to mm-hmm. her because that's what usually happens when somebody's like 
got that kind of like personal experience into their movie it usually makes it really like good cameron crow and cameron crow yeah, yeah, yeah perfect yeah and i think you're right i think tokyo is like a character yeah right? oh definitely and i think you could do this concept in any number of non-american countries and get a similar feel but i feel like i feel like she loves tokyo mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean and yeah. she wanted to do the beauty of that place justice um and yeah, apparently, if you believe this movie, karaoke is like Starbucks over here, right? It's There's just fucking everywhere. Exactly. And it has one of my favorite musical moments in movies, at least in the last several years, is when um, Bill Murray is singing Roxy Music's More Than This. Yeah. And it's it's at the, towards the end of the night where they're all like, they've gone through their like party hits and everything. And it's just, it, it's him sitting down and just kind of like, more than this. He's yeah. doing this very like lounge singer delivery. Well, and the lyrics. Yeah, exactly. Like he's feeling it, right? Yeah. Mm. You know there's nothing more than yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> I know, it's Dark. awesome. He's wearing that crazy, like, bright camouflage shirt that he turns inside. <laughs> it's also a movie, much like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, if you were to take out one scene, it would not be R-rated. In fact, it would probably be pg if it wasn't for that. And the one scene in Lost in Translation is just her going to the strip club and they're saying and that that one song that uh, all it is is the group going sucking on my titties like you wanted to, you know, and it's like and it's like a a girl, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like one nude stripper right there and that's it that's the only thing that's i guess so. i never really thought movie. about it yeah and planes trains and automobiles obviously the big fuck yeah, you know, yeah fuck this and fuck that scene is the only thing that makes that all right yeah. but, but yeah lost in translation is for like everybody if you can like fast forward the one thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great though yeah absolutely i so, hear us maybe away from there will be blood a little soon i feel bad now you guys want to say any more about that before we? Well, get I mean, into there's it? obviously a lot of great scenes in it. Um, the the thing about Plainview in this is everything's a competition to him mm-hmm. uh, in some way. Um, you know, getting getting the town behind him and everything, and he's really competing against Paul Dano like mm-hmm. the entire time for sort of hearts and minds. Mm. Um, you know, Paul Dano is doing the whole preacher thing. This is a really religious town. But he's trying to get them on his side so that they'll sell them his land. Yeah. And so like um or sell him sell his him their land. Yeah. Um, but um I, I the, the scenes with his son and everything, mm-hmm. his basically adopted son, yep. uh it they're so great because he's willing to he's willing to like let go of him while be like loving like genuinely loving him. That's why it's so devastating by the end of it where his son says, I'm going to open up my own business and everything. So that makes you a competitor. Yeah. You know, and uh, and like basically he's he's decided, OK, well, you're not for me. You're against me now. And there's this big, huge like where he's just basically like, let's just end this now. I'm going to say the worst possible things that I can say. It's like you're a bastard in a basket and yeah. all that type <laughs> of stuff. Um, Do you think he actually had... I, I know, like, especially when he loses his hearing, you see him kind of definitely care. I didn't get the sense that he really used him for anything other than, like, uh, a, to bolster his reputation. Oh, at first he does. Because it's all just, I'm a family man. I've at, got HW here. At, you know? first, at first he does. Mm-hmm. The, it's clear it hurts him, though, to leave him on the train. 
and yeah and he sends uh basically his assistant up there to like be with him and everything you can tell is in the kids like sitting there yelling yeah and all that yeah. and he's like it, it doesn't look like he's not affected you yeah. know it's it looks like he genuinely it's one of those it's one of those like <laughs> this is an impossible uh comparison i'm about to come up with okay just bear with me okay you know like movies like she's all that where <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you could have gone like 9,000 different directions oh, than I thought before she's all that. I was just talking about Matthew Lillard, too. And Can't Buy Me Love and all those type of movies that start out like a bet. And they uh, say, yeah. and they don't yeah. like them. They don't really yeah. like them. They think, they think they're a joke just like everybody else does. But through the whole process, they eventually fall in love with the girl. And that's what I'm trying to get at. He's got the... <laughs> So let it be known from this point forward, I think there will be blood is just like she's all that. Yes, exactly. She's all that in the Wild West with oil. And that's no right. Kevin Pollock. That's right. That's how, they, that's how they pitched it. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. All right. So... Obviously, this is one of the best filmed movies he's ever done. I think it's still his best movie of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it as much as I like Boogie Nights, this blows Boogie Nights out of water. Yep. And that's hard to say because Boogie Nights is way up there on the level, you know, whatever. But this this is something that we haven't seen. Modern audiences don't get a chance to see much. A movie that is made with this kind of scale where everything with that Johnny Greenwood uh, mm-hmm. uh, score is yep. amazing, too. Uh, very minimal type yeah. of like strings that just kind of come in. Yeah. Um. So anyway, out of these two movies, where are we going to go, and what's our order? You're starting. Uh, there will be blood. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, I, I this is another one of those things where I love Lost in Translation to pieces, but mm-hmm. you're talking about a movie here that just came in. It's it's hard to beat this movie. It so is. Uh, there will be blood is my pick. Yep. There will be blood. Ah, there will. Barrett's vote doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just got more weight, more sustenance, more to chew on and, I don't know, think about and ponder. I mean, really all Lost in Translation has to chew on, if I'm not currently personally lost in life, is I wonder what that whispered thing he said was. <laughs> That's really all I got. Whereas, like, there, there will be blood. It's just, it's even hard to pick what scene I'm rolling over the most when it's done. Anyway, it makes you think. It does. I mean, you go back over that whole church scene up at the the front of the church when Paul Dano is going up against the greatest actor of his generation. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really much debate about that. And he's not only holding his own, like he's right up there with him. Mm-hmm. And there's something about Paul Thomas Anderson that I can never get sick of. We talked about. I love the master just a crazy amount. I know not everybody does. I loved Inherent Vice, even though it's a complete departure. Punch Drunk Love, like I, and this is his best movie, so I can't vote against that. For yeah, sure. sorry, Scarlett. Yeah, well, <laughs> and uh, and you know it's funny, Paul Dano. This is another thing. I I almost wish I didn't know this fact. <laughs> The uh, he it was supposed to be somebody else. Yeah, and I don't remember. And they, that's all you know. That's yeah. all anybody except the actor and whoever saw that person on set knows. <laughs> oh, Zach Efron. That's what I heard. Oh yeah, Zach Efron. <laughs> he would have killed yeah. in that role. Absolutely, that would have been believable. Um. Anyway, so there will be blood moves on, and we go on to our seven and ten 
See, it's number seven, Up in the Air. Ooh, one of my favorites. Against 10, Animal House, which, um, yeah, Animal House was in that weak-ass 1978 yeah. year. Um, it ended up winning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the I year? so. It won the year. It um, did indeed. Uh, ostensibly two comedies here, although Up in the Air is more of a drama than Animal House mm-hmm. is. But uh, let's talk about Up in the Air. I know this is you guys' jam. I, uh, I like it as well. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. I love it. I, somebody said something on Twitter the other day about, oh, because it was when I recast The Martian and I put Anna Kendrick in it, and somebody was like giving me shit about saying she was a good actress. Hmm. And I didn't, I, I don't fight on Twitter very much anymore, if at all, because n- nothing good is ever going to come of that. Never, never <laughs> does. In my head, I was like, she was Oscar nominated for Up in the Air. Mm-hmm. And that was like 2008, 2007, whenever that, no, it was 2009. Yeah, it was, uh, actually, it might have been 2010. Oh, you're right. I think it was. Um, but yeah, she was nominated, and uh, rightfully so, in this movie. Yeah, she's fantastic, and she has a great arc. Um, and she's the wonderkin that the company's just hired. She's got all these new ideas. She wants to you know, put... What's, what's awesome about her plan to start doing all these telecommunication firings instead of flying people all over the world is that I, I can totally see why she came up with this. Mm-hmm. We're going to save all this money on hotels and airfare yada yada. but what a terrible idea yeah like what a truly terrible idea um and you know by the end of it i think she's realized that and she's moved on to other things but uh you know this is obviously george clooney's movie not hers uh but she makes a nice foil for him i think Mm. he's he's got a very he almost don't think about the whole convention speeches that he makes this this what's in your backpack yeah you know which is a little bit ham-handed unless you've been to one of those speeches where mm-hmm. like you know do you feel the straps digging into your shoulders and stuff like that and you're like oh yeah okay i've seen this type of speech before um but uh, you know he starts off with that and then you know he's he's this character that is completely shut off yeah. and you're like there's there's no breaking this dude down until he gets into that relationship and you really, you, to me at least, when I was watching this, I wasn't ready for that whole almost downward spiral that he goes into, yeah, and really bottoms out towards the end when he gets the ten million mile thing, you mm-hmm. know, to where he uh, he doesn't even want it anymore, exactly, almost because yeah. he says, you know, how long I've thought about what I would say in this moment, and <laughs> Sam, what's his name, Beef, what's the Elliot, name? yeah, he's like, well, what did you want to say, and he's like. You know, I don't remember. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's lost all of his inspiration for that. But you're right. He He's very intentionally closed off. Yeah. Uh, but you see flashes. Like when he takes uh, her to the wedding, mm-hmm. this is, I, I cringe every time because it's so well executed. But when they're coming out after the rehearsal dinner and he says to his sister, I, I was wondering, you know, I didn't know if you had anybody to walk you down the aisle. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, well, my husband's dad's going to do it. Yeah. It's like, oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. But he's like, yeah, these people, like his other sister even says, you basically don't exist to us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then he does want to help. He gets to talk and back into Danny McBride back into getting married. And mm-hmm. um, so there's heart there. You can tell he's he wants some kind of connection, but yeah. he's so he's so fixed on this life plan of not having any relationships and human ties to weigh me down that it takes him a, it takes a lot to pull him out of that mm. there's a lot to symbolize by that 10 million miles isn't there um it it sounds like this awesome goal that he wants to get at and everything to get this like amazing freaking card that doesn't matter really in your life right. at all um but you know you look back at all the you know his job is not a great job like it is it is 
specifically to deliver pain to other people and basically say, you're fired. You no longer work here anymore. That's your life. And in small markets, too. It's not like he's going yeah. all the time to L.A. and New York and all that stuff. It's Omaha and Des Moines. Yes. Nothing against you people. Well, if you're, if you're and, and obviously, <laughs> that there's no, there's no, like, that's not a, on accident that yeah. it's these type of towns either. It's That's just to go to show. It's These are basically saying these are everyday normal people who don't live in big cities and everything. Um, and... But yeah, 10 million miles, that's, that's, that's basically his life. He has been flying around telling people they're fired. That's mm. their job. Uh, uh, it, it, it uh, also shows what kind of like, you know, sort of crash landing he's had. You know, you're talking about his, his relationship with his sister. They don't really care one way or the other that right. he's there. And also the relationship he has with Vera Farmiga basically says, you know, you could have had something like Vera Formiga a few years ago yeah. if you had just sat, if you had just, you know, assessed your life a little bit better. Um, instead, now you want her as someone who's like her way too late yep. in her, you know, she was probably looking for somebody like mm -hmm. you, but now you're way too late. <laughs> and that is, that is sort of the message of this movie. And it's it a is. sad, sad message, but um, uh, it does it very effectively. Well, yeah, I think the message is that, your relationships are super valuable yeah and uh they do come with baggage and they do weigh you down but that's what makes life worth living mm. like he's so I, I wouldn't even say he's depressed on that plane i think he's just empty mm -hmm. yeah right like he's, he's not feeling much of anything at all he's anymore. gotten everything you wanted yep and it's unfulfilling mm -hmm. and the one thing that he decided late he wanted he didn't get and it was crushing yeah uh, so don't be my point is don't be like Clooney. yeah Right. And also what I find funny and I get the symbolic nature of this, but he, he all movie he's hoping to speak at this like Globocon or it's like the, it's like the big convention for mm. motivational speakers. And he gets invited and he goes and he talks for two minutes. And that's when he goes, I need to go to Chicago right now to see <laughs> yeah. Vera Farmiga. Right. And I, I get that he's essentially telling the audience he's done with this philosophy. I can't mm -hmm. even say this one more time mm -hmm. because I have these feelings for her. But man, you just shot your public speaking career right in the toilet. <laughs> just, just, just go through the motions one more. Make up a speech on the spot that's new or something. But you, you're not even going to get paid for that. Yeah, let's not all. Let's also not forget the sort of the the meaning of him going around uh, with this poster board of his sister and his her future husband. Yeah, and taking pictures yeah. of the. It's, it's one of those things. They may not be going to the places that you're going. Yeah. but they have a life yeah <laughs> and it's yeah. just it's one of those type of like things that you they you know you throw in movies and you're just like huh that's kind of funny and quirky it means a lot more than you think it mm -hmm. does i love that moment when they're at the rehearsal dinner and he sees the board with all the pictures because it's not just him several family members and friends have been sending in pictures and he goes what made you want to do something so and you just know he's going to say something accidentally mean yeah like meaningless or stupid and vera farmiga cuts him off and says oh what is she say accomplished or substantial oh yeah <laughs> it saves his ass yeah. <laughs> and then you just watch them light up when they're talking about how much they like this idea yeah they, they encapsulate all the things he's been rejecting yeah and he really feels it there yeah good movie yeah. that relationship is totally believable though you know the Vera Farmiga and, and George Clooney, mm -hmm. uh, to say nothing about how they interact with Anna Kendrick, which is almost paternal and maternal. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I love that scene when they're in their hotel rooms, their respective hotel rooms, and they're texting back and forth, and they're like, 
you know, one of them is like, I can't sleep, or it's Vera Farmiga saying, I can't sleep. And he's like, well, I might as well just rub one out. And she's like, way ahead of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's that kind of like rapport that they have almost immediately. Yeah, it is almost immediate. And they connect over their shared, basically, travel perks, right? They're... They go from one little conversation to spilling out their wallets and yeah. showing their cards yeah. and everything. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a. It's a movie that it's trying to remind you not to focus too much on goals that don't mean anything, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I, I think you could make the argument that you know, it films may be talking about money. Mm-hmm. Um, ten thousand, mm-hmm. ten million miles, ten million dollars. You know, we all have aspirations, collections, things we're trying to get that may not ultimately fulfill us as much as just sitting down and uh, having talk with somebody you care about mm-hmm. all right so can we hype this matchup against up in the air with animal house which no yeah the, <laughs> the only thing i'm going to say here is that animal house without animal house you don't have 95 percent of the comedies that come out correct you don't have most of the 80s in fact i don't think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. without animal house the it, you know, we we went into this, I, I think, starting off saying culturally relevant and all this other stuff was sort of our criteria. Um, as far as impact, I think Animal House has a way greater reach than Up in the Air yep. does. Yeah, I agree. So it, it's one of those things where, you know, this is it's obviously not going to be a dramatic uh, choice by the end of this. We all know where this is going. Yes. But talk about animal house a little bit and just the fact that it's just uh you know this is the this is the way you make comedies they make it and they made them good they 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 when they started copying animal house just like every time some you know you yep. try to make copies mm-hmm. of something they always pick cherry picked things out of what they what and what encapsulates animal house it's the nudity and the raunchiness <laughs> so like everything became just that yep. afterwards you know and and you forget that the reason why animal house works and everything is because there's actual characters in it even though it's not like it's not high art but yeah. it's <laughs> yeah. you know it's it certainly has its place it does i would love to hang out with this group of people from that period from 78 to like 84 the actors or or the characters well no the actors and and the producers and things like that first of all this is well and there's an 80 percent chance you might die hanging out yeah yeah. (laughs) the harold ramus and john landis and everything this is also a uh a father-son match ivan reitman was the producer on this and jason reitman directed up in the (laughs) air oh wow yeah Yeah. but uh no i mean the the stories that come out of Things like this and Caddyshack and and you yeah. know that whole group. Yes, you probably die, but <laughs> you'd have a hell of a time before. And Belushi, man, when you go back and watch this movie, I love this movie. You go back and and look at it. It's almost like a, a silent performance uh, from from yeah. John Belushi's character. You know, he's got the few like little quips, and he's got the big speech about like you know uh, where he's like, "It's not over until we say it's over." Um, and you know, but the rest of it is just like downing an entire bottle of Jack Daniels, or he's got those eyebrows going when he's, you know, looking in in the, the, uh, the window and everything. It's, it's so much fun and it's hilarious and it makes me miss what could have been the rest of his career. Yeah. And, and, uh, and in general, this was like the sort of the top of the heap for national lampoons and all their writers who, by the way, are way more influential than you probably give them mm-hmm. than anybody gives them credit for. But like a lot of the people who came out of that were just, I mean, that's, 
I mean, that's the whole eighties and nineties there. Yeah. Like that's the, like those guys were really sharp, really knew what they were doing as far as the magazine that they were right. They were making and everything. And it spilled over into movies. Um, that is so influential, but anyway, it has to go up against up in the air. <laughs> so who's first on this? That'd be Jeremy up in the air, up in the air. It's I, junior bird, man. I'm, I'm not sure how much I like animal house. Hmm. And I think part of the problem is that I never had that kind of college experience. <laughs> yeah, it's probably very different mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because I went to a very small <laughs> Christian liberal arts college, <laughs> boys and girls in separate dorms and chapel twice a week, and yeah. there were no fraternities, period, <laughs> let alone raging fraternity parties or fights with other frats and yeah. whatnot. And so it's so disconnected from my reality that you know uh, it's just hard for me to connect mm-hmm. and i do see the comedy there i, I just i don't hate it <laughs> i don't just i just don't like it very much and yeah. i love up in the air yeah. and i know up in the air is probably going to go up against something like fucking die hard next or something <laughs> it doesn't stand a chance but this is another one of those movies that kind of gets into my soul a little bit mm-hmm. and it's just really stays with me and uh one of the best gut punches ever so up in the air it does have a great gut punch. Yep. I never was in a fraternity or anything like that. I had a very different college experience that was debaucherous, but in a like outside of the academics of it. <laughs> so, but, debaucherous. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I haven't said that. I think you're absolutely right. Animal House is so influential on not only comedy, but the performances, the uh, Elmer Bernstein to the score, yeah. which is a great score. I love that guy's stuff. Um, I agree though, up in the air has so much more heft. It's got a hundred percent more young MC than Animal House. It does. <laughs> young MC was probably fourteen when that movie came out. What <laughs> what was crazy in that uh that convention scene with Young MC is George Clooney like going, Bust a move! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ah, you're supposed to be cool over there. Just do that. <laughs> but uh man, Anna Kendrick the way that she goes through that whole thing and the breakdown in her character, uh, when she realizes what, you know, the, the weight of all of her stuff and, uh, her perfectly planned life is not going out the way that it should is so great. All these performances are terrific. Oh man. The moment when, okay. So they walk into this company two thirds of the way through or so. And the teleconferencing is already set up. And Jason Bateman, the boss, is there on the screen. Hey there. Mm. And George Clooney's like, we're here to do some real damage. What are you fucking around with this video thing? for?" And they end up having to go through it. And of course, the guy freaks out. What the fuck? Of course, that's when they find out he's in the next room over. Yeah. Yeah. And the look on her face when that guy leaves and she turns to her paper and picks up the pencil and hesitates because she sees there's like a hundred goddamn names on that thing. Yeah, yeah. And she crosses one out and puts the pencil down. And it's just crushing because you know what she's feeling, but she's still projecting this. I can do this. I'm going to mm-hmm. do this. And then she presumably does a hundred yeah. more times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I tell you, I was going to say Animal House until that right there. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I was going to say up in the air all the way on this. Um, you know, we can't. I mean, obviously, as far as cultural relevance and all that stuff, type of thing uh there's no comparison on animal house but as far as movie and depth and whatever all the other things that we said and everything obviously this beats animal house Mm -hmm. and um 
not that uh, my vote mattered anyway, but uh, we'll uh, we'll make that unanimous and I move like on. your vote. So we're we're two unanimous votes in, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, look at us cruising we, through the east. I well, wonder if the next one will be. This though. will be a crazy one, I think. Um, number eight, The Dark Knight, versus number nine, Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, wow. I'll, okay. So The Dark Knight. Uh-huh. Um. I'll never forget watching this movie for the first time. Mm. Um, it finally, for me, legitimized comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There had been a few good ones. Spider-Man 2 was high on my list. Iron Man still high on my list. Both of those are still high on my list. Mm-hmm. But this was the first time I had actually seen a movie that said that that I I said, this is a film. Yeah. Like when you go back and forth between movie or film, you know, it's this, yeah. the pretentious bullshit. Uh, the Dark Knight was the first time I was like, that's a film, you know, mm-hmm. and and the, you know, the opening, the opening of this, the, the, you know, the Heath Ledger, Ledger Joker that puts all these balls in the air that basically Batman's like sitting there like catching and making it's it's like watching Batman run around in a Looney Tunes cartoon where he's like where somebody's got like a broom full of dishes you know they then they're they're like going back and forth and back and forth and everything and he's got to catch each one with like you know you know 50 arms or whatever yeah it's kind of like that because Joker just keeps on like being one step ahead and two steps ahead and everything um it was the first time I really felt like a comic book movie was legit. I agree. Yeah. And it's one of the best examples we've, I think, we're ever going to get of an actor exceeding what we thought their range was with mm-hmm. Heath Ledger as the Joker. Because I remember when he was announced, it was the same reaction as Ben Affleck announced as Batman and mm-hmm. same reaction when Jared Leto was announced. Like, what? That guy? And then he just fucking hit it out of the park. The balls on this guy. I'm telling you, I want to know what he did to get the job. I don't know. At this point, Joker was synonymous with Jack Nicholson. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so. Like His performance in Tim Burton's Batman was was iconic, and it still is. It is a complete different take on Joker than Heath Ledger's was. But uh, for him to just say, like, I'm going to make this my own. Not, Not only Jack Nicholson's performance, but this is a character that's been out there since the 60s or before you know and he just says i'm gonna do this and it was amazing when they i remember when they released the first photo i don't know if it was on a poster or if it was just a, like a photo that they sent a production photo of him with those stitched up cheeks and everything and it was terrifying yeah i was like what this is a, like a horror movie well really? there was that behind frosted glass why so serious scrolled yeah. mm-hmm. on it with his face behind it it's so fucking sinister looking yeah and then the performance is just i here's the thing i believe that character through and through and i believe chaos is basically the only thing that motivates him Mm -hmm. and i think that's hard to sell i think a lot of actors and he does a lot of he does a lot of extreme things in here right he came up with the whole lip smacking with his you know and he's got a pretty over-the-top voice but his sinisterness doesn't come from acting crazy yeah. Right. It comes from the actions he takes. Like mm. the pencil thing with the mobster is way more frightening <laughs> than anything that comes out of his mouth in that scene. Yeah. I um may have been the only one that I know that thought that was going to be a good choice when they said Heath Ledger was going to be Joker. Oh yeah. I was very like when I heard that, I said, No, he's gonna be great in this. Mm-hmm. And mainly I I 
didn't look at what his past work informed us as far as how his Joker would be. I just looked at him as what kind of actor he was. And like, if you're going to put an actor like that in this role, he's going to be able to do this. Brokeback Mountain is a movie that I don't know if you would, uh, you know, you're not going to extrapolate Joker out of what he does in Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> if you do, it's a weird Joker. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do believe that his performance in that movie is such that, you know, it's way different. If you've got prejudices going into that movie, mm-hmm. he blows all those prejudices yep. away. Yeah. Yep. And uh, got that big old deep voice and yeah. the Texas accent. Yeah. Well, and especially the scene where he tells the two rednecks to stop, you mm-hmm. know, swearing in front of his children and all that. It is. It. I think. I think. In you know, in the past, that's easy to make a, a victim out of your character in the in a scene like that, where you know he's like, "Stop that!" And then he gets his ass beat or whatever. Instead, mm-hmm. he's the one doing the ass beating. Yeah, <laughs> he's got rage. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and you know, I just, I, I knew that after, after that, I was like, if you put an actor like that in this role, he's going to find a way to make it work. And that's exactly what I thought. Now, yes. Was there anything in his filmography that said he's the Joker, man? It's not like Nicholson where you can see all that, you know, whatever. But I didn't, I did know he was a capable performer at least. I did not know it was going to be this good, but I did know he was going to do well. I'm with you, man. I may not ever forget walking out of this movie. It's one of the, it's one of the only movies since 2000 that I've actually sat through the credits for because I was just still (laughs) smiling and absorbing what I had just seen. It was just, it's just one of those rare times where my hopes are so high for a movie that it's basically impossible to, you know, meet my expectations but the movie then supersedes my expectations and it's just so rare for that to happen and then of course dark knight rises came along and took that feeling away yep yep uh yeah the dark knight is great somebody asked me the other day when i was talking on twitter about logan not being the the greatest superhero movie ever made or whatever um what do you think is and i i said you know i always have this conversation it always comes down to the incredible spider-man 2 and dark knight Mm -hmm. and somebody threw out uh, unbreakable and i guess that that counts. Yeah. It's not a comic book movie, but it's a superhero movie. Uh, but I just think it's fantastic. It's operatic. It's uh, epic. Yeah. If there's anything that I don't like about this movie, it's that final rage montage of Harvey Dent and Two Face mm-hmm. going on his thing. To me, it, it's it doesn't necessarily detract from the movie, but I feel like it wasn't completely necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, Nobody's going to be coming out of there talking about Two-Face and Harvey Dent. They're all going to be talking about the conflict between Batman and Joker. And the fact that they put it in this context, which is now revisited, uh, but this context of like, you need me, you know? You know, we're two sides of the same coin, not to get into the Two-Face analogy, but like, you know, that that part of it is my least favorite part of the movie. It's not terrible, but it's just not... It well, doesn't hold up to the rest. You start getting multiple character syndrome, mm-hmm. just like uh, comic book movies do, and it starts getting to the point where, okay, can we just focus on the other stuff? Can't we just leave it at the end of the movie where he's, you know, he, you see him as Two-Face and maybe he becomes the next villain in mm-hmm. the next movie instead of 
like going through all this stuff, like, you know, flipping the coin and killing yeah. all these guys for revenge. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying on that. It's almost like they had a, a had a model of like what Two-Face was going to look like, which is terrifying. Yeah, it is. Uh, and they said, we can't sit on this. We yeah. have to do it now. <laughs> well, I, I agree and disagree. I, I do think that scene is one of the less necessary. I do think it it's an important setup for the very final shot where Batman decides, okay, well, you, you pin this on me. Mm-hmm. I killed Harvey dead and takes off. Cause I think that's important to Batman in general and to this trilogy's Batman. Mm. Um, but I think there's more reason for Harvey to be there. Uh, but that scene with him and Joker in the hospital is mesmerizing. Oh, that's great. Where Joker basically takes him from angry and wanting to kill Joker to kind of buying into Joker's chaos philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I'm riveted every time that scene comes on. Especially well, when he grabs the gun and puts it yeah, right on his forehead. Yeah, because he doesn't like, care. Yeah, yeah. He really doesn't. <laughs> well, and to clarify, I'm not saying that all the Two-Face stuff that we see, especially in that scene, and then the fact that he dies, those can stay in there. It's the whole trip that he Going takes through afterwards. all the things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's where it becomes sort of unnecessary. We could still have him die by the end of it. We could still have the Heath Ledger thing. We just, you know, we need to like cut out some of this. The, yeah. The Eric Roberts scene and the limo and everything. It's that all- and like when he's taking the shot and it's dribbling out of his mouth yeah, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, you know, dropping me from this height won't kill me. I'm <laughs> counting on it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the Dark Knight goes up against Rocky. Another, this is an all timer. It is. Um, Jesus. I, I said earlier in a, another podcast that, I knew Rocky as Rocky four and yeah. I knew that's what Rocky was to me yeah. for the longest time. And then I finally, you know, said, all right, I'm going to watch the first Rocky, even though by Rocky four, because you've seen so many montages, yeah. <laughs> you've you, seen you, you know exactly how Rocky is going to end. <laughs> um, so like, uh, uh, it was like stunning to pop this movie in and watch it. And it was like, whoa, this is like taking its time. It's yep. character building. Yeah. It's got all the, it's got this thing with him and Adrian. And then he's basically like, you know, having to like, uh, uh, get Polly's permission, alcoholic Polly, who by Rocky four is like some lovable, exactly. you know, whatever, which is total bullshit. You know, like when you watch the first Rocky, you're like, that's, that's who fucking Polly is. <laughs> yeah. And Rocky four. He's like comic relief. Polly's <laughs> a terrible person. Yes, he is. He, a, uses his sister mm-hmm. he is is uh, terrible he's just he's awful and you know he's drinking all the time the the scenes between him and uh adrian are kind of hard to watch in fact this is a this is a great movie i love this movie so much it's such a departure from what you end up getting with rocky four but uh, uh talia shire plays adrian not nearly what she becomes later on she is almost mute she's mm-hmm. so anxious mm-hmm. She works in this pet store. She can't really talk or engage. She's under this abusive umbrella of Polly's, like, basically parentage. And she's she's terrified of everything. And there's a, there's a couple of parts in there when Rocky starts dating her and they go back to his place and everything mm-hmm. where, like, that gets a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, he's like, yeah, 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 we're, we're gonna do this. It's like, can you give me Stallone having an orgasm? <laughs> <laughs> I think he just did. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Oh, well, it's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, when they're they're at the apartment and everything, and Polly's like, he's like, he's like, you already, you already went to bed with him, and did he? You're busted. You're not a virgin anymore. You know, and all that. And like, you're like, come, man, God, yeah. what a dick he is. And then yeah, Rocky Four, he's like laughable. Um, but, <laughs> Hanging out with the robot, right? But uh, what uh, what Rocky then does uh, is it sets up a great hyped boxing match Mm -hmm. um where you know it's you have him and he's got his lo-fi you know like he doesn't have any of the like you know super rich stuff that apollo creed does apollo creed of course isn't taking this seriously at all he's just like looking for the publicity and all that but seeing him on tv is great (laughs) like basically calling him out (laughs) they make this whole thing july 4th in philadelphia and everything is like this like this big like hyped event but you see you see Rocky working and he's like punching meat in the yeah. freezer and he's like <laughs> he's like running up running all over Philadelphia all the way up to the library yeah. and all this other stuff and he's like man you know this guy yeah Apollo better like take this guy seriously you yeah. know if he saw this you know this might <laughs> he might it might take this seriously might not last 15 oh, rounds I love those I know they're cliche at this point but those training montages of him running and the score and everything mm-hmm. And I've run up those steps, by the way, to the Philadelphia public. Is that Library. the most it's, recreated movie moment in America? Probably so. I probably. mean, because I, I ran up because fuck it, I was in Philadelphia, and as I was winded and walking back down, like I saw all these people yeah. going up there. Yeah, it, it is. It's easy to say. Well, because we these things are so like emulated, mimicked, and everything, it's lost its power in some way. It doesn't. It's the it's the first to do it. Yeah. And then, you know, and it's done well, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, it's it's terrific. And then by the time they get to the boxing, I mean it's 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 just great stuff. You know, he he's got great scenes with Burgess Mer- Meredith in yep. this too. You know, Burgess Meredith has that great, like he's he doesn't want he doesn't want any part of this. And then finally he does. He's groveling the Rocky. Like, yeah. it's like, and uh, he's like, oh, you might need a manager or something, you know? And then <laughs> like, uh, and, uh, and, um, and then he realized that he's, he's really, this is his last chance to do something good. And Rocky's mm-hmm. like, you know, you had your chance, you know, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. runs off. And that, this is like great scene in between, you know, for them too. But all that, the boxing and everything is just great. It's, it's, it, yeah. it gets you, uh, it gets you like rivet. It's riveting. Yes, it is. So <laughs> we have a, a problem. With we, really- <laughs> <laughs> we definitely um, do. Yeah. Purchase Meredith. Also the voice of the penguin from the old Batman television show. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Going go. up against a Batman Ooh, movie. Connections. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, you go first, don't you there? Babe? I do. Yeah. I'm going to go with Rocky. Mm. Rocky, this whole kind of thing started, we've talked about this site for a long time, Flickchart. And Flickchart puts movies up against movies, and that's what we've got here. And what happened when I was doing that is that I got Rocky as my favorite movie of all time. Wow. Over and over and mm. over and over and over again. Because every time I watch it, I'm reminded, again, yes, it does take its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so well written by Sylvester Stallone. And every part of it, Carl Weathers, Burgess Meredith, Talia Shire, all these guys, they they get it. It's like a 70s movie that just holds up to, to repeated viewings. And man, I love it. I love The Dark Knight. Uh, certainly, I think it is the best superhero movie of all time. I think it's, a, in my opinion, it's, it's even better than The Incredibles. Um, but 
it may just be that that little tacton coda that I was talking about that uh, that puts it just slightly below uh, Rocky for me. Mm-hmm. So that's my pick. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, and and it's a it's a miracle Rocky got made too. Uh, yeah. Stallone wrote the screenplay and he wanted to be the actor in it. And he was a nobody. Yeah. Um, and to, to, you know, it was one of those type of things where like, he didn't even want to, he wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be made if he didn't, if he wasn't going to be the main guy. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if I've decided. on It's, this it's one. a rough, rough matchup. I don't know if I've decided on this one. The opening of the dark Knight and towards the end of the dark Knight are some of the greatest things I've seen in movies in a while. I mean, uh, in, in this, in this past 20 years or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I guess there's enough bad about Dark Knight that I'm like, eh, the Rocky, There, I don't know if there's anything like I can point at that says, this is not good. Yeah. There's not much to it that says you, I mean, I think the Dark Knight's a way more exciting movie than the Rocky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rocky's got more emotional depth. Yep. I'm going to go with Rocky. Oh! No! Wow. That's a fucking upset. Even though it's an eight and nine, right? That's a fucking upset Ow! right there. <laughs> I'm upset. I'm in a glass case of emotion. <laughs> really, I respect your decision. But I don't want to. Gah! I feel personally responsible. I'm voting the Dark Knight, damn it. Symbolic Doesn't matter, but I'm going down with the ship. <laughs> I'm going to represent. <laughs> this is an impossible pick. It is. It's impossible for me. Like, uh, it, this is another one where you you go through several different types of criteria all at once. Emotional weight, Rocky. Exciting, Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, Tale of the tape. <laughs> yeah. Um. What, what was the other criteria <sighs> going through here? Cultural relevance. Cultural relevance. Uh, Nudity. Which is, cultural relevance is, is about even, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, that is just an impossible, impossible pick. That's a rough one. I'm sorry, Batman. And I know that's going to piss people off, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm sure there's some Rocky fans out Those there. Those people that are pissed off should go back and watch Rocky. Because it's probably been a minute since you've seen it. Go back and watch it again. But is Batman in that movie? <laughs> By the way. This is the first one that has truly crushed me. By the way, that's the be- that was the best uh, uh, reaction when I said Rocky. Uh, Jeremy like looked like he was about to die. <laughs> I was sitting here going, I think he's leaning Rocky. Don't lean Rocky. Yeah. I think he's leaning Rocky. I couldn't. There's there's enough there's enough silly about the Dark Knight that eventually you have to say, look, you have a solid movie here that's just almost nothing is bad with it. There's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. Dark Knight's got some flaws here and there, yep. even though I love love scenes in it mm-hmm. that are amazing there's still enough in it that's just uh you know i don't know it's not it doesn't have the same consistent quality that yeah. rocky does yeah and it's the only thing that really pushes rocky over this yeah they're the equal movies oh absolutely yeah, yeah. i think the joker could beat rocky's ass <laughs> especially if he has his knife shoes and his dogs in a fist fight in with a- you <laughs> Well, you sounded like Scooby Doo. So good for the good thing for you on Twitter is that all the hatred that you'll for this pick will be towards Barrett and I. Yeah, that's Barrett just reflected. That's true. And you can say, "Look, I voted Dark Knight." I caught some of this with the whole sideways thing, like yeah. when we beat 
when we beat the uh, Goodfellas. So I, I, L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential. And yeah. and and yeah, that devastated me as well. I don't think it's <laughs> as much as it's not nearly the hard. I don't think it's nearly as hard as this one though. Yeah. The Dark Knight. The thing about it, I think, also is just that it's it's more recent, even though mm-hmm. it's now nine years old. Can you believe that shit? Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and it and it's and it sort of like has its fingerprints in a lot of the comic book movies we're seeing now, where the darkness and everything, especially Logan and yeah. all that. Um, it, it it's again, it's not to diminish the Dark Knight. It mm-hmm. just went up against a tough, uh, you know, tough uh, film sorry, there. Batman. Yep. And I'm sorry as well because I I adore the Dark Knight and it's got a lot of relevance for me. If you listen to the podcast, I mean, that's one of my all time projection mm-hmm. uh, feats yeah. was the Dark Knight. <laughs> Um, uh, in fact, it was the first time I had ever run movies like that. It was the first time I'd ever run an IMAX movie. Oh, it was yeah. a lot of things about the dark Knight uh, that personally, uh, you know, hit me because it's just one of those type of movies, but man, I can't pick against Rocky there. Unfortunately. Ain't going to be no rematch. All right. So now we have <sighs> the East region finished and we're going to go through. Did we do four already? We have. Wow. We're kind of moving a little bit today. The up in the air and the uh, animal house didn't take too long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So so our our matchups in the East region in the second round are now Children of Men versus Rocky. Uh Aha. Hmm. And that, see, we saved you on that one. Children of Men versus Dark Knight. Yeah, that would have been hard. That would have been brutal. That would have been fucking hard. I'm glad I don't know what the potential matchup is when we're making up our well, decision. yeah, and I and I'm I'm very careful not to look at that myself. Yeah, me too. Um, we also have Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind versus Do the Right Thing. That's wow. going to be a fucking hard oh ass gosh. decision. Right so there. brutal. Um, then we have one that we've already made that decision on. There will be blood versus no country for old men. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Damn it. <laughs> and then we have up in the air versus city of God. Yeah. That rounds Damn it. out. <laughs> All my favorites are going down. I yeah. know, man. That's, this uh, bracket is a bitch. It really is. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. All right. So we're going to be talking about nature box again. Oh, um, yeah. We can't stop talking That's about my favorite topics. Stop. Yeah, stop. absolutely. So my wife has a more adventurous palate than I do. So I took a few risks with our nature box order. I got these salt and pepper lentil loops uh-huh. mm-hmm. and I got these yucca chips. Mm-hmm. All right. No idea what she's going to think. She freaking loves them both. Oh, like, yeah. She said the yucca chips p- taste exactly like a potato chip and the lentil loops. I guess they're made with part potato and lentil, so they mm-hmm. kind of have a potato-y kind of thing going on. They, they have awesome, like the zesty nacho cheese curls. These aren't your typical like potato chips or like things that are all greasy and nasty and everything. And just makes you feel good about snacking because you're going to do it anyway. You might as well do it healthy and yeah. have it delivered straight to your door and everything. Yeah. Well, and we've talked before about the popcorn that these yeah, guys baby. do. I and mean, there's so many different varieties of popcorn. Mm-hmm. What we got in there, we've got the spicy buffalo. What is it? The, the sweet and spicy buffalo popcorn. We have the Ooh. sweet and spicy buffalo popcorn that is awesome. And there's also the other popcorn. <laughs> Oh, the white cheddar and caramel popcorn. Yeah, the white cheddar and po- caramel popcorn is my amazing jam. too. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Those those things you can like, you know, you can watch a whole movie with those. You know what I like? I like the nuts. Mm-hmm. I- 
freaking love the nuts. How, how, yeah, exactly. How can you not like nuts? Oh, man. Creme brulee peanuts. Oh, those things are the awesome. Sriracha cashews. I don't know if that's actually a thing or something. Sriracha cashews? That'd be awesome if it wasn't. (laughs) We're pimping snacks that don't exist. Yeah. Make sure you get some berry butter bars. Yeah. (laughs) Like funnel fairy butter bars. No, no, Jeremy. We create Nature Box products just by saying it here on the Sun. They're going to hear this and they're going to go, shit, we better make that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I'm a pretzel guy. Mm -hmm. I've talked two or three times now i think about the sourdough cheddar pretzels oh those are so good mm-hmm. which i don't i don't I, I can't even look at a normal pretzel now right <laughs> it I, has I, ruined you it really has <laughs> because the, it's both it's the combination of it being made because i've had sourdough pretzels before that were just pretzels but made mm-hmm. with sourdough but then you add that cheddar in there mm-hmm. and i like salty stuff mm-hmm. and i don't know what, what i don't know what they're doing but it's salty as a beast and yeah. i love it and i ate the whole bag in like a day and a half I, nice i had a homer simpson moment with the sourdough pretzels that came here because you remember the episode where he's like he finds the last peanut and he's like ah oh, the last peanut that has all the salt of your dearly departed brothers and i got to the end of that sourdough pretzel thing, and it was just like that. Um, anyway, so are we allowed to talk about what's coming? Are we allowed to talk about that? The fact that we are working with Nature Box on a CinemaSins curated box, yes. or do they want us to wait until do it? It's ready to go. That's coming. We're gonna hand select the three of us mm-hmm. the snacks that will come in a box, and you'll be able to go to naturebox.com/syncast mm-hmm. and buy the box that we picked. Yeah, that we put. To, you could be able to eat the same snacks that we love and are talking about like right now. And listen, we've got good taste. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, so, we do. And you're listening, you so us. so do you. Right. Yeah. That's correct. So do us a favor, go to naturebox.com slash syncast. That's where you get the 50% off offer. Mm-hmm. It'll tell them that we sent you. Try them, check them out. You won't be sorry, promise. Yeah, no, we've got a lot more people uh, since the last sponsored podcast that have come on Twitter and said, you know, I've tried it. I've got a couple more pictures this past week. I love seeing that stuff. If you guys take the plunge with us mm-hmm. uh, and enjoy these healthy snacks, send me the pics of what you decided to get and tell me which ones you like the most and, and whatnot. Okay, so we're going to begin the South round, the South region, uh, first round, and we have our very first one is Spielberg versus Spielberg. Oh, yeah. Uh, We have number one Schindler's List versus 16 Close Encounters of the Third Mm -hmm. (laughs) Count. That's a matchup you think about often. Yes, exactly. I'm always trying to figure out a way to make something better than Schindler's List. Um, So... That just, it, I mean, really this whole uh, March Madness thing, but especially this type of matchup shows you how impactful Spielberg is. Yeah, no kidding. And how different he can be, Yeah. Um, you know, to make something as a searing drama like this versus uh, a beautifully made alien spectacle. Yeah. Um, wow. So we have uh, Schindler's List here. I've probably seen Close Encounters way more than I've seen Schindler's mm, List. Me too. Um, but let's talk about them for a minute. Schindler's List, uh, is it possibly the most, I don't know, important movie that we've had in the past 30 years? Yes. I think it's gotta be up there. I don't know if there's anything like, I mean, you have stuff that's socially conscious, like do the right thing is in Mm -hmm. there in that conversation. I, I don't know. I think there's still a lot of people who just didn't know this went on. I guarantee it because it is so gruesome and so brutal that you just don't even think this is possible well i think i said when we were doing the years discussion that i had never 
I had ne- I never had any visuals like this to go. All I ever had was text in a textbook and maybe a picture or two here and there. And the picture would be of a striped uniform or a, the outside of Auschwitz or what have you. But, you know, this was the first time I was seeing sort of the visceral mm-hmm. actuality of what went on, um, you know, or, you know, I I was familiar with Anne Frank and had read that play. But even that is the concentration camps are far away from what's going on mm-hmm. in this book um or play i suppose um it may be it may be the most important movie that's been made i mean and i think it was a big big home run for spielberg from a creative standpoint from an artistic standpoint i think it really took him from um this guy makes magic films to this is one of our finest filmmakers ever well we're going back over the same territory we were talking about sofia coppola and cameron crowe on a much different level doing something very, very personal. You could tell how personal this is to Steven Spielberg. You know, not only did he do the movie so brilliantly, but he started this media, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, this onslaught of Mm -hmm. awareness of the Holocaust. And he was on HBO and he was doing miniseries and things like that, doing things that this was a jumping off point for conversation in addition to being a brilliant movie. I think you're right. It, it ushered in a new era of awareness. Now there's still fringe wackos out there. Yep. Who There's always going to be fringe wackos. But uh, I think my generation and after became so much more aware yep. uh, than we ever had been. And let's not forget also, I mean, it being uh, socially conscious and being a great socially conscious movie is not enough. It has right. to be... It has to be well done. And here we have performances across the board that are amazing. I would think Liam Neeson probably would win in almost every other year in this. He was going up against Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, which is kind of a hard um, movie to to go up against, a performance that's hard to go up against. Uh, uh, This is my introduction to Liam Neeson, really. I mean, he had had a pretty good career before this and everything. Dark man. Dark man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give me the fucking elephant. Um, <laughs> um, so I, it was the first time I had, I had, it, at least I had ever seen him in a movie like this. And he just, he just owns it. Ben Kingsley, of course, is, is fantastic. Ray finds terrifying. Yep. Oh my God. When he comes into the factory for a surprise inspection, cause you can tell he kind of always suspects something's up with schindler mm. and he gets to that old man and he's like what are you making he's like hinges make me a hinge and he pulls out a stopwatch and the guy's like okay and hop to it and he gets over there and he starts making a hinge and i'm like all right he's gonna do it he's gonna keep his job and the guy's like if you can go that fast why are there only a dozen of them over yeah. here you should have a whole box full of them. takes him out to execute him yep and then the gun jams yeah and so <laughs> yeah he walks off in disgust right uh he, he is one of the most terrifying we were talking about how terrifying anton Chigurh is in no mm. country for old men or even there will be blood this is i think more terrifying than either one of those well the first time we i think the first time we see his character is he's just on the balcony with a rifle yeah we see him in the car coming in before that but you're right that's the first kind of like scene for him and he's shirtless and he's just sitting there like stretching with this thing and he's just picking out random people to shoot from his balcony yeah like it's grand theft auto or some shit yeah Yeah. it really is kind of like that um and but there i mean there. You know the the scene too, where like they get they 
put put all of his workers on the train and he starts spraying water in there to mm-hmm. have, and like you know he's like oh you're even cooler than me Schindler yeah. you give them too much hope you know and all that yeah. you know it's like I mean the guy is just ridiculously yeah. evil unbelievable and it's first time we had really seen I don't know other than like Hitler type of uh, performances right. or whatever we had ever seen underlings yeah. sort of like maybe not the first time but it was certainly one of the first well and this is a real dude who yeah. had this reputation for being this evil like it's not like spielberg fictionalized some i think that's part of why he's so fucking scary is mm-hmm. that you know that this shit was actually happening yeah now that's why this is so impactful cinematically this would stick with you if it were completely out of ether mm-hmm. this would be a terrifying movie although a heart warming movie in some ways too but like the fact that this is not even ancient history yeah this is recent history um people are still alive that experienced this and to to have that kind of context in it when you when you see it 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 just makes your you probably have like a schindler's list face when you're watching (laughs) it like a, a a mix of disgust and like fear and angst and where your face is all screwed up at least mine was yeah. oh man people were openly crying in the theater yeah. when i saw it of course the couple next to me were openly basically groping each other <laughs> under their pants but, they were doing uh, the seinfeld uh, thing yeah it's messed up yeah well it was worse than that it I was mean, worse it was, than that you know, there were genitals involved and mm. uh Let's just say my date was crying, so not that I would have been making out with her had had she not been crying. I was there for the movie. Most people were maybe the highest percentage of people crying in a movie I've been in ever. Uh, And again, it's sort of like I'm about to make a a really bad analogy, maybe worse than yours earlier. Right. It's sort of the way a lot of Christians reacted to Passion of the Christ, being able to visualize suffering that you connect to in a way you never have before. Yeah. The black and white thing works great. Um, I like the little touches of color, like the girl in the red jacket. Oh, yeah. I think that's heartbreaking when he's watching her run around aimlessly while they're rounding up everybody in the ghetto. Uh, just a, a masterpiece, mm-hmm. yeah. right? A and masterclass in how to direct an awesome movie yeah. that, that makes people both sad and happy. Yeah, and you have uh, John Williams, one of his most memorable scores in this. Do you well. think so? I think so. Oh yeah. I mean, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you can't hear that without thinking. Oh yeah, no. Schindler's List. Maybe maybe other parts of it aren't nearly as good. Maybe that's what you're getting at. Maybe he's got one piece that's memorable. I actually right? like that yeah. coral with the girl running around in the red jacket. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I love the music. And I think then it's fantastic. I'm going to totally screw up this Polish name here, but the cinematographer on this, Janusz Kaminski, it sounded beautiful. You're so awesome at Polish stuff. Um, uh, he he's a he's now a legendary cinematographer, but um, but he the I mean the movie looks fantastic in yeah. black and white, and probably needed to be black and white to be to be honest, but. Yeah, I agree. Um, but uh, it, 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 I mean, yeah, technically it's great too. It's not just the socially conscious stuff that's mm-hmm. it. And again, we're getting back to that. It's a great film in general. Yeah, and uh, and like a lot of movies based on true people or true events, I'm sure there's some dramatization here that it's not going down the way it did in the real world. Sure. But I like that the movie doesn't shy away from showing you that Schindler's not that great of a guy, at mm-hmm. least in the beginning, right? That girl comes for a job, mm-hmm. gets ignored. 
She goes on, pinches her cheeks and puts on lipstick and wears a pretty dress. Then she gets an interview. Yes, yeah. he likes pretty girls. Uh, and he cheats on his wife. In the beginning, it's really almost strictly a business thing for him because he can make more money this way. Yep. Uh, and slowly over time, obviously, he begins to care about these people and becomes attached to them in a way that is profound yep. well and i love i love those little touches too where he goes in and he's like you know it's it's friday night aren't you isn't it time for you to go home with your family and and you know observe the sabbath and all that mm. and uh and then by the end of it also he's like i could have sold my car i could have yeah. sold this, this watch ring. yeah the ring and all this other stuff i could have saved two like two more here two more mm -hmm. there and like that's how much the you human life actually meant to him by the end of it is like it doesn't seem like much, you know, yeah. I could have saved about six more people or whatever. It's, it means everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it has to go up against close encounters of the third kind. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, Spielberg is just, I mean, he's just, he's just so great. <laughs> 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 what else can you say about this guy? I mean, this is, I think the, I think he's the reason why most people our age watch movies because yeah. most of the time we, when we were growing up, a lot of the stuff that he made was all the classic stuff that we, you would sort of your gateway movies. Well, and even stuff that he didn't direct, like Back to the Future, he's super heavily involved in producing. Mm -hmm. And you can see and feel the Spielberg in the Back to the Future movies. Yeah, mm. it's it's strange because in the 80s, after, after he did Raiders and E.T. and even Temple of Doom and all that, he started trying to make these socially conscious type of movies and or making more Oscar bait type movies. Color Purple. Color Purple, Empire of the Sun. And he made that awful always movie. Yeah. Um, but like, you didn't like always at all? Yeah, I mean, maybe I should give it another chance. But I was like, I don't know. Is that the one with John Goodman? And Richard Dreyfus yeah. and uh, Holly Hunter. I don't think I ever saw it. It's it's certainly not great, but yeah. yeah. But he had a weird weird time in the eighties. It's a weird had, yeah. Where he had like he had a handful of big hits that he's known for mixed in with yeah. you know, and the color purple's good and everything. Mm -hmm. I'm not downgrading it or anything. It's just that it it's uh it was just a weird period of time for him uh but close encounters of the third kind i've always said this is just it's just the wonder that it sort of emotes every yeah. time is when those ships show up we don't see that much anymore and maybe it's because we're so advanced as far as seeing so many alien movies that seeing a ship come down isn't exciting anymore yeah and that and in, in in this one it really is because they've sort of been teasing us the whole time yeah little cock tease ships they even got the <laughs> helicopter t uh, tease where they yeah. think the ship is coming but it turned out to be helicopter yeah, yeah. uh but uh you know it's an incredible journey for this we we recently talked about this you know like the guy is like basically saying no to his family for, mm -hmm. uh, for this why don't you just believe me why don't you just go along on this why don't you just go on this horrible ride i'm gonna that i may not even be right about yeah you know <laughs> why don't you just believe me yeah you know um so, uh, so yeah, I mean, Close Encounters is, just, uh, is, is a terrific film. Well, Richard Dreyfus really owes a tremendous amount to Steven Spielberg. <laughs> to yeah. me, you between know? this and Jaws alone, that uh, made his career. Yeah, I mean, without him, like, he's had some good Mr. Holland's opus was fine. It's, it's funny you guys say that, because I think he won the Oscar this year, but it was for good, The Goodbye Girl, which I haven't seen. But I'm, I think in 1978, or it was not 77, but the next year. Oh, really? It was the goodbye girl. He won the Oscar. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's still, even though this was 70, it was 75 and 77, I guess, yeah, the very next one, people knew Dreyfus enough that it's like, all yeah. right. Yeah. Um, uh, I've never seen Richard Dreyfus 
And besides something like What About Bob, where he's, you know, overwrought and all that stuff, mm-hmm. I really never seen him as good as when he's in a, a Spielberg film. Yeah, he's he's really good in Close Encounters. He kind of holds it together, mm-hmm. really, because you have to have a, a really strong performer in order for us to kind of want you to continue the journey that makes you leave your family behind, yeah, yeah, right? Because yeah. uh, he's not a great guy in that <laughs> sense. No. Uh, Goodbye Girl was 1977. Ah. So it was the same year. Um, but yeah, exactly. He's the glue in this movie. I mean, yeah, without him, then you have, you have absolutely no movie, mm-hmm. but, but uh, I just, I, I just love like all this, this sort of this globe trotting type of thing. They have to go down to like Africa or whatever yeah. and ask the tribe what they saw and they're all, they're all singing that song and yeah. everything. And you don't <laughs> know quite what it means yet. Um, it's just, that's the thing. It's just unlike every alien movie that has, as and 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 et i would i would exclude from this conversation but like every alien movie you see after this you don't get that sense of wonder everything no. about it is like oh it's established now aliens don't worry about it you know and there's no sense of wonder which is so come. weird that should be the easiest part yeah. you're interacting with an alien race for the first time it should be all wonder and then like maybe some fear about what they're gonna do i mean a little bit in independence day they try to do that but yeah. you've already seen the trailers at this point <laughs> yes, where they blow, blow up, up everything and it's not so like while independence day does that whole like shadows of the ships going uh-huh. over the town and everything you don't really get that sense of like, oh, yeah. what could this be? Could they be friendly, man? <laughs> you know they ain't friendly. As soon as they come into the world, they're not friendly. Um, it has a very difficult task here. Yes, it does. To go up against Schindler's List. And what's our order? Is it me again? Yep. Uh, Schindler's List is going to win this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, and that's not a hard, it's not hard, as hard as I really Im- imagined it at first. I've seen Close Encounters way more Mm -hmm. and i'll probably watch close encounters more than i watch schindler's list after this yeah more but schindler's list is a way better movie uh on all the levels so i'm gonna go with that yeah i can't fault the logic there Mm -hmm. um i might even say close encounters is my favorite movie having to do with aliens at least until i watch arrival a few more times yeah um i love it i think that movie gives me more wonder than et does yeah um it's just like comparing popcorn to a steak yeah. right there's not anywhere near as much sustenance in close encounters as there it's it's mostly sugar it's mostly air it's awesome mm-hmm. all right i like cotton candy but you know you need nourishment and if we're talking about what, what's the better film i really don't think there's even any question that schindler's list should win 100 percent agree all right it's a beautiful wow. beautiful that beautiful was tidy thing. yeah <laughs> and uh, it, we didn't hurt any Batman feelings on that one. <laughs> we didn't. If Schindler's List go- went up against the Dark Knight, not going to be- happen now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that would have been a championship anyway. Yeah. It would have had to have been a championship the way this bracket is uh, is going. But um, all right. So the two seed Pulp Fiction uh-huh. versus number fifteen seed Stand by Me. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. <laughs> so I don't know if there. Uh, was a more impactful movie in the 90s than pulp fiction mm-hmm. um it's weird though i feel like it's a movie that a lot of people tried to emulate for a small period of time and failed and we never really ever saw a movie that did it well or we didn't i don't know if we saw a lot of movies try to be pulp fiction past the 90s why couldn't they do it 
I mean, this is not... Because they're not Tarantino. Yeah, but I mean, this is not rocket science. Well, I, I guess it's the dialogue. Who it's directed dialogue Two Days in the Valley? Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Who directed <laughs> uh, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead? Yeah. <laughs> you got me on that one. No yeah. idea. Who directed... No, that's my point, <laughs> is that like Tarantino, love him or hate him, has talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he goes to excess a little too often, mm-hmm. uh, but... Uh, and I and I probably prefer Jackie Brown a little bit to Pulp Fiction, but mm. like you said, we'd never seen anything like this. We talked about this when we were discussing this year, and somehow Shawshank lost to Pulp Fiction. <laughs> um, but it was just straight out of left field. Both the violence, the way these characters talked, the way they talked about normal shit, like the Royale with cheese <laughs> and all that stuff, and foot massages, um, and you know the out-of-sequence way that we're presented with some of these events. Mm-hmm. It was just like a shot of adrenaline to use something that happens in the actual movie. Yeah. <laughs> just get the fucking shot. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I, I I had to put it up against Shawshank when we did the 1993 vote, but mm-hmm. it's not like I'm going to sit here and say bad things about Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it was the 1994 vote. Sorry, um, you're right. <laughs> is, by the way, though, I, uh, earlier I said up in the air might have been 2010, but you were right on 2009. Well, there you go. So, uh-huh. we'll, we'll, we'll call it even right there. Um, <laughs> we'll call it even. Call it even. We, we, are, we are competing in this podcast. Yes, it's you versus me versus Barrett. Who's the Barrett. better person? Um <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Pulp Fiction is it, it, it had done it in such a way that by the time they get back to the diner, I was like, um, I was like, oh, Samuel Jackson's going to die in this or whatever. Even though we saw <laughs> his aftermath in the earlier yeah. clip or whatever, uh-huh. that's how effective that movie is and how oh, yeah. how different it is. I was like, oh, he's he's dead. Yeah, he's so dead. And you're like, oh, I didn't even think about. You have to put all those pieces together, and it <laughs> yeah. gets you to think about it for days and days and days afterwards, right. or years, really. Yeah, um, I, I, it's it's Tarantino's sort of like trademark to sort of start with a scene that doesn't seem like much at all, and then just ramp it. Mm-hmm. The things that we love about Inglorious Bastards. Yep. Just remember that you know the the scene where they're in the bar and they're all playing the little you know. Yep, the mm. game with the cards on their yeah. foreheads and everything. You're like, oh, okay, that's a nice little uh, whatever. Almost everything in Pulp Fiction is like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know they're just they're, you know you're talking about the Royale with cheese. They're talking about foot massages. They they go in and uh, you know they, Frank Whaley and his character <laughs> and everything. He's like just sitting there like eating Big Kahuna burger <laughs> yeah. and and Samuel Jackson's doing this funny little thing and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he's just kind of playing around with him. All right. <laughs> But it it ramps up to this intense thing that's unforgettable. The same thing with uh, John Travolta and Uma Thurman later, uh-huh. where it just seems like an innocuous kind of like, all right, they he's taking the big man's wife out, and uh, and oh, his real decision here is whether or not he's going to sleep with her. Yeah. Nope, that's not the <laughs> real decision. <laughs> is she going to die? Yeah, By, go yeah. home, jerk off, and that's all you're gonna yeah. do. <laughs> it's like, and and uh, and it's like it's just. And then, yeah, the the scene where they're in the diner doesn't seem like they're just talking about whether or not they should even be doing this type of well, Samuel Jackson, at least, yeah. is sitting there saying, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore, which is great. That great line later when Tim Roth actually does like rob it or whatever. And he's like, he's like, um, he's like, you, you do your boss's laundry. And he's like, when he wants it clean, he's like, sounds like a shit job. Funny. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just dialogue that you can eat for days yeah. on this and it's just uh it amazing. is the it is the dialogue 
sewer rat may taste like pumpkin pie, but I never know because I never <laughs> eat the filthy motherfucker. <laughs> it's not so hyper like kinetic to where like that becomes the shtick. It it fits the characters so well. It does, you know. And Jules Winfield is Jules Winfield. And what I love about that scene that you were talking about with uh, uh, with Brad is it Brad or Brad? Uh, believe me, I don't know what the subtitles say, but it's both. Yeah. I fucking guarantee you. <laughs> okay. Because it's Brett, but Samuel L. Jackson says Brad. Yeah. There's yeah, no yeah. doubt in my mind. Or he says Brad. Yeah, but it's very or it sounds bratty. like Brad. Yeah. But uh, when you start from when they're in the car and he's talking to Vincent Vega about, you know, the differences between Europe and America and everything. And he's like, example. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he's just so calm. Be like, <laughs> there's the, the one time where he breaks the facade that this tough guy thing uh where it's like you know that you know they put on french fries mayonnaise it's like god <laughs> yeah man i see him drowning in that shit like, uh, but then he goes back to that reserved and then you do not expect until you see it obviously for the first time you do not expect this huge monologue about ezekiel twenty five seventeen coming. Yeah. i will strike down with you yeah. <laughs> oh man it's it's so great and then the other thing that tarantino does that no other director I've seen can do it in this type of thing is put a soundtrack to his character. Jesus. One of the things that really gets me about Mia Wallace coming into the the picture is that Dusty Springfield son of a preacher mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Oh, it's it's perfect. And then you got Jungle Boogie at the beginning, you got the surf music, everything just is fit in perfectly. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. Um so it goes up against Stand By Me. Yep. Another great, this is a great movie, and I don't know if enough people talk about it to this day, really. Probably not. Uh, obviously, a great Rob Reiner movie uh, based on Stephen King, you know, short The Body. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, coming of age films are kind of hard to make. If you watch most coming of age movies, they're just, oh, they're just, they're just awful. Yeah. They're just awful. And you don't see very many good ones every once in a while come out. This is one of the better ones, one of the best ones, and it's got a, a heavy hitting future actor uh, roster on no this. No kidding. It does. Even though it's not, they don't all like the biggest career probably is um, Jerry O'Connell. Uh-huh. He probably has the biggest, but Will Wheaton has, mm-hmm. has is still has a has a nerve. River Phoenix would be that level of a star yeah. if he hadn't died. And then Corey Feldman had his like teen beat days in yeah. the late eighties and early nineties and all that. Um, I don't know if we ever thought he was going to be huge, mm-hmm. but he was huge in that little yeah period window of time. And then you do have your bit character kind of bit characters of Keith Sutherland and John Cusack. Yeah, in there yeah. Too, Cusack so. has like one scene. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is good. I mean, this a, a what? I mean, what a cool adventure! Like that, a believable adventure that kids would go on. Mm-hmm. That that oh, there was a body somewhere, like in the woods somewhere, and like they go and have this big long. You know, walk and during this walk, they sort of you know learn about themselves yep. and all that. If only they'd known like that this a- adventure was going to end basically with the loss of their innocence, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Right? I wonder if they would have gone on that trip, like because this they're basically not kids anymore after this is over, and that's sort of the point of the movie. Uh, but you, when you're that age in that era. It's totally plausible that somebody goes, I heard there's a dead body over in these woods. Let's go look at it. Yeah. Don't go with the stick. I feel like that's something somebody would actually do. Um, 
And boy, I tell you, that leech scene sure kept me out of strange bodies <laughs> yeah. of water for most of my childhood. Yeah. Like, I didn't want any leeches getting on me. And they had them everywhere. Yeah. One of them got it on his dick. Yeah. On his willy. He had to reach down in there and pull it off in his little bloody fingers. Yeah. <laughs> That's gross. Yeah. And, and, but it's, it's great to see the interaction between these guys. Will Wheaton, uh, who wants to be a storyteller, Richard Dreyfus is doing the, uh, Richard Dreyfus again. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Is doing the narration. Um, uh as as the adult version of his character and he's and he's a guy who wants to be a writer when he grows up and everything and he tells that really funny ass story about the eating contest yeah. and yeah. everything where everybody ends up vomiting by the end of it <laughs> and all that so it's a perfect kid story to tell uh but i yeah i love how they all just i love the interactions between all these kids yeah and it's just it's uh, this is maybe Corey feldman's best work yeah, yeah. i think so i mean, I mean other than the burps <laughs> <laughs> other than the birds. pizza dudes here <laughs> pizza dude <laughs> other than the, the ninja turtle movies uh, yeah 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 uh, but i think it's a testament to uh the director that mm-hmm. he's able to get so much good out of these actors who really don't have enough experience yet to be this good yeah, yeah. and you know i Will Wheaton was uh, probably ultimately more famous for Star Trek The Next Generation yep. than anything else he ever did. But I don't think he was ever as good as he is in this movie, which is not to say I think he was bad. Uh, River Phoenix, I followed his career pretty closely. And, you know, he's pretty good in everything. He but he's really good in this. Yeah. And I think Kiefer should only play bad guys. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he's just, you know, he's that frightening older kid that might be dangerous that every small town has. Yeah. Anyway, and I really has, love this And movie. it has dialogue in it that could arguably, you could say that Pulp Fiction has. Uh, like, just some stuff in there yeah, when they're talking they- about, like, uh, what the hell is Grimace? Yeah, and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, what the hell is Grimace? You know, and all that type of stuff. It's really funny, like pondering type of stuff. Like, well, yeah, yeah. What the hell is Grimace? Well, I never thought that Stephen King gets enough credit for the normal stories that he writes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about Shawshank Redemption and how brilliant that was. That that stays fairly true to the source material. Green Mile, even with supernatural elements is a great non-horror story. And then, of course, this, you know, and there's, yes, there's a dead body in it, but it's not about that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the his ability to write in different types of voices is really cool to me. He, he's just, he's got a lot more range than I think people give him credit for. Is this for. movie responsible for Wonder Years, the TV show? I do think it did in some you way. Think? I mean, it's very close to that kind yeah. of thing. The narrator, mm-hmm. you know, Daniel Stern is the narrator in Wonder Years as older Kevin. Um, and just all the, you know, the it's a it, Wonder Years, the whole thing is coming of age. That's yeah. the whole point of the title and everything. But mm. yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly a precursor to it. It at least paved the way. I think it's directly responsible. I think had not had A not come, B could not have happened. Yeah. That's just my theory. That's interesting. That's just, yeah. my, that's just my germ theory. Uh-huh. Okay. So Pulp Fiction versus Stand By Me. Who's the first? Jeremy son of a bitch yeah man it's closer than you would maybe think isn't it it is because for all of the impact pulp fiction had and i think still has on specific genres of film and launching the career of tarantino okay i'm going pulp fiction i ah. almost went stand by me mm-hmm. i wanted to real bad uh, i i just don't think uh, it's really <laughs> if you let me keep talking i'll change my vote so you might as well go you know it's interesting when we were talking about dark knight 
and how for me that that last little bit about Harvey Dent and Two Face is just I don't think it adds anything to it. To me, I mentally check out for most of the Butch stuff in the middle of this movie. Mm. Um, for whatever reason, because you're following these cool-ass characters, Marcellus Wallace, Vincent Vega, Jules Winfield, and then it kind of hits this wall of Butch and this whole boxing subterfuge and this whole different story. And what brings me back into it, though, is how that fits into the overall narrative. And then you got you know him killing Vincent Vega, and you got all that stuff. I think that could have been trimmed a little bit, and I would have liked it more. But it doesn't otherwise detract from what I think is almost a perfect movie. So I 100% Pulp Fiction. Love Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. Also a great soundtrack in Stand By Me, too. So they're kind of going up. Pulp Fiction has my favorite soundtrack of all time. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Uh, my vote doesn't matter, but I'm going to go Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah. Again, I mean, Stand By Me is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. I don't Pulp Fiction, I just think, I think I refer back to that movie more when it comes to just, you know, mm. stuff that is, stuff that is all, that is great. Stand By Me is a great drama, but yeah. I don't know if it's got a lot of, it doesn't have a lot of the same techniques and same little fun things that Pulp Fiction puts in. Pulp Fiction's just got a lot of just things going on as far as a filmmaking tour de force. Mm-hmm. Stand By Me doesn't quite reach. It's a, but yeah, great story. And I say go watch it, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, Pulp Fiction. Man, I right helped bury it, but I'm sad. I'm sad yeah. about Stand by Me. That's, <laughs> uh, that's my that's one my little guy. I like yeah. that little guy. I like that. <laughs> I think it's time to go to questions. Okay, let's go to questions. Let's go to questions. Would you put your A in my Q or your Q in my A? <laughs> do you like my song? I do. I'm kind of raising the roof. I right do. Now. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of getting a Q so that I can put it in someone's A. Question. Question. I got something to say. I am listening. Give us a cue. All right. In which movie scene? (laughs) By the way, the easiest thing to read ever. (laughs) I ended up having to leave, but I saw the Twitter link when you were on Sif Pop. And so Mm -hmm. I clicked it and I was listening to the live pre-show and ended up having to go somewhere. And I was gone for an hour. I missed the whole thing. Uh, But where you had struggled with that phrase in the beginning that they wanted you to say. And at the end, when you got it, you were like, first try. (laughs) (laughs) And I lost my shit. Oh, man. And like somebody was commenting, this is why we listen to the live pre-show right here. (laughs) That was fucking gold. That's great. Okay. In which movie scene would you most want to be there doing what a character is doing? What an interesting idea. Now, yeah. this is, are we throwing sex scenes out, though? Uh, I mean, you can put them in there, baby. I mean, I, mean, I like sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think all right. we all do. Go uh, ahead. Is, no, is, I'm not no, starting. It's like it's like it's like idiocracy there. You're like Dak Shepard. Like I really like sex. <laughs> like I think all of us do. And he's like he's like not like me though. Like- <laughs> One of you has to go first. I like the Borat where he's like I like a sex. Yeah. It's nice. Uh, I'm gonna go uh, with a, a little bit of. Uh, um, some sex and a little bit of uh, a whole bunch of like other type of debauchery going on. Uh-huh. The Kit Pardue scene and rules of oh, attraction. Oh, Jesus. Nice. You want to um, have that guy's vacation? Yeah, man. Oh, um, he came back with about three venereal diseases. Though. Yeah, he did, but I, w- I would be more careful than he is. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, know if, I don't know if you can have that kind of life, though, without being as reckless he is yeah. as he is, but... 
Um, the scene in Rules of Attraction is is probably the best scene of Rule of Attraction. Rules I of Attraction. Kit Purdue, they is a friend of one of the characters in there, and they and he's like, "So what did you do?" And it's like this: just the movie just stops <laughs> to show a very quick cut of him going across Europe, and it's like, it's narrated really fast. He's like at first I went over there and did this, and yeah. did this. I, I banged these this two girls, banged yeah. her twice, and then left. Yeah. Then made out with his sister. <laughs> then I went to Dan- Denmark. Yeah, <laughs> and he keeps it, just, and it's just like a whirlwind tour of Europe while he's banging chicks and doing and drugs. It goes on forever. It does and to the point where I miss shit every time it's on because I'm laughing so hard. Yeah. It was I mean, like a three or four minute scene. It was it was easy when this question came up to first say like any scene where someone is having sex with scarlett johansson <laughs> you know i mean it's it's easy to say that yeah. i mean um but there there I, I mean i was trying to think other than that yeah. you know like i did one i did consciously try to go let's not make this all about sex let's make it about more debauchery yeah. no let's just <laughs> i was trying to think of some other stuff you guys came up with some better ones i think well i didn't send any answers but mm-hmm. i'm gonna go with a little bit of something trippy uh-huh yeah i do want to have sex with a hot person mm-hmm. right i'll just go on a record yep. just right. saying yeah you know i wouldn't mind being like Clooney. yeah mm-hmm. like yeah i'm yeah. 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 See? <laughs> I fuck Clooney. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I'm going to go with a movie I don't even know the title of. Oh, yeah? But it's that movie where the New York Knicks pick Whoopi Goldberg out as a fan out of the stands to coach the team. Eddie? <laughs> yes. Now, I don't think I would want to do it in basketball, but I guess I kind of have to because we're stuck with this. But I've always had this notion that I would be an excellent professional sports coach. Ah, interesting. Of any major sport. Because I think I'm good at pushing buttons, motivating, and screaming. Oh. <laughs> and I'm pretty good at strategy. Um, so I've always wanted to like, you know, I've always sort of had that fantasy of being the fan called out of the stands to come manage the team. Of course, I'd rookie the year myself all the way to the championship. If yeah. I, did. I think that would be rad. I love sports. I grew up loving sports. Uh, and I never even saw that movie with Whoopi <laughs> Goldberg. Although I do believe this is the movie that got her together with Frank Langella. Yep. Uh, who's the owner of the team? I think, I think so. God. Anyway, I would love that experience. So I'm picking that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the sex. And mm-hmm. the sex. Yeah. I'm going to be like Kunu and do less with my pick. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So in The Big Lebowski, there's two scenes uh, where the dude just is in his happy place, mm-hmm. in, in his blissful nothingness. Mm-hmm. And one of them is when he comes back from meeting uh, Lebowski and uh, comes back and he's making his white Russian, his Caucasian cocktail, and he sips on it. And then as he's listening to Philip Seymour Hoffman leave a message on his machine, he starts enjoying his rug and like doing some Tai Chi moves and stuff like that. And he's just in his completely oblivious to, uh, you know, you weren't supposed to take uh, that, you know, uh, if you could call us back, you know, that'd be greatly appreciated. Um, And then the second scene is right before a very traumatic event. But uh, when he gets into the tub and he is just blissed out, he's smoking a joint, there's candles going, he gets a call, another call on his answering machine saying that they found his car. He's like... Far, far out, man. Yeah. Far out. It's like, ah! I have never been as chill in my life as he is at that minute. Yeah. And I would love to get to that point to where I could just be like, I am just in my space. Yeah. You know? And that, that just seems very blissful. Now, 
a second later, he gets attacked by a marmot. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> in the bathtub. So that's short lived. But I think it's worth it to him. Like he's got this this passive, you know, when he puts on the headphones to listen to bowling noises and stuff mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> I love that, man. I think it, I think it'd be great to get to that state. You just want to smoke weed in the tub. <laughs> in the tub. Yep. <laughs> Which uh, it's an experience I've never had. In my I've life, never so. had it before either. Mm, but yeah. I think I know what I'm doing tonight. There you yep, go. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Put the candles out, honey. Which do you think is the most clever plan in a heist movie? I always thought Spike Lee's Inside Man has a great plan that is very doable. Which movies come to your mind? Now, he's right. Inside Man is not only a great heist concept, but it's really well shot and really well paced to where I didn't at least get what they were going for, what the, the twist was at the end. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Ocean's Eleven is a, is mm-hmm. a fun high. It's, it is patently ridiculous. <laughs> it is. But um, I enjoy every minute of it. It, it. it it lets you in on just as much as you need to know during it. And you're having fun just sort of watching them do it and everything. And you're, you know, Casey Affleck and, and uh, Scott Kahn doing their, their, you know, silly things are fun. Brad Pitt. George Clooney and all them are positioned in just just such a way that mm-hmm. you know that they're not really a part of it, but they're they're not in there doing the vault stuff, but they're like sort of the quarterbacks of everything. And you know, seeing Elliot Gould do his stuff. I mean, it's just like uh, just fun watching all these characters do their thing. Carl Reiner too. Carl Reiner. Yeah. Um, but you see, um, you see all that stuff, and then by the end of it, they're pulling back and they're showing you exactly what happened. And where they were at the time, and all that—it's always been the 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 most. It's just one of the funnest things to watch. Don Cheadle, of course, has his has his good. <laughs> Let me ask too. you this: What's the every time I watch this movie, I, I get confused by the the bit where Brad Pitt's upset at Clooney for talking to Julia Roberts or chasing her or following mm-hmm. her when mm-hmm. he sends Matt Damon to trail him. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? Because they both know the plan, right? Are they pretending for the sake of the other Ocean's crew? I think that's genuine, isn't it? I because thought it was genuine. It is, it is a bit of a wild card because she's not part of his plan. Okay. Yeah. It's just kind of a an accidental lucky break, That's I guess. the way I've always re- taken that is that it is a wrinkle that gets thrown in uh, that he's not supposed to get distracted by okay. her. Uh, and of course, uh, eventually he gets he gets pulled out of the action completely because he's in that like room and getting mm-hmm. getting his a- ass beat by yeah, yeah, the yeah. guy who's really on his side. Yeah, uh, but that's that's part of the plan too, right? Yeah, that's definitely part because of the plan. because then they they drop into the shaft. And yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. definitely part of the plan. But I, I think I think the distraction is what he's upset about. Is that you know you could end up like blowing this whole thing completely if you make too much of a deal about hanging out with Julia Roberts and everything. I, I like the parts in that heist that you're not expecting. Like when he when the uh the trigger for the the explosives doesn't work mm-hmm. and he's just like, you know, like banging it and like what about the batteries? He's like and he has this pause yeah. where he's like yeah, maybe I need to replace some batteries. Yeah. <laughs> and his whole like interactions with Matt Damon from the the top to the bottom really are, are just, it's so much fun. It's those little things that are really fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. It's preposterous. But yes. I really enjoy it. It's one of the coolest movies. It is. Uh it just oozes cool. Especially by the end of it, that music's playing the uh what is it um it's a classic piece of music. It is isn't it? when they're looking at the fountains. Yeah, yeah. They're looking at the fountains and that. 
Yeah. Is it, is it that one? Uh, I think it is. No, 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 I, I, I can't remember how it goes. Something and if like I do that. try to make try to do it, it's going to just sound stupid. No, it's not that one I was singing. It's something else. But you're right. It's a, um, it's a song, and it's good. Mm. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's just sort of like a, a great, like, you know, after all this, it's a great breather at the end. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going super obvious and doing the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. Oh. Man. And the reason that I'm doing it is because it is kind of a heist at the end yep. um, because they're they're essentially going to destroy all the the cocaine on this right and that was the whole purpose of them going to the, the the ship but it's got so many fucking layers to it though yeah I mean you've got the the whole is it Keaton or is it not um, you know who is Kaiser Soze is he even present we didn't know that you got three of them that are going on because uh, Benicio de Toro's character left yep. him earlier uh, you have the pretty gruesome deaths of Kevin Pollock's character and Stephen Baldwin's character. And it's just kind of like, man, you know, there's just so many elements to it. And then of course the big reveal adds a hundred percent more to it. Mm -hmm. So everything about that is, is fun and interesting and witty. And it takes you several views to really kind of get through it and figure out, Oh, okay. That's exactly what happened. It also has that great uh, moment that uh, I have used often now when I used to drink Coca-Cola a lot, Mm -hmm. where, uh, where where Gabriel Byrne has that says there's no coke i've looked at every fucking room there's no fucking coke <laughs> coke so when you open that. so when you open up the refrigerator and there's no coke that's uh that's what pops into my head uh-huh yeah, interesting absolutely yeah so that's my pick uh, i'm going to go with the score Oh, uh, yeah. Robert De Niro and Ed Norton for the most part. Mm-hmm. You've also got Brando in here, and I think Angela Bassett. Have you seen this movie? I've never seen it. Oh, I think you would dig it. Uh, I'm going to ruin some of it for you. Go ahead. So basically, there's this De Niro's a thief, a professional thief, and he gets his jobs from uh, Marlon Brando, but he doesn't ever take jobs in his own town. Mm. Don't piss in your own pool. But there's, there's one that ultimately com- becomes irresistible, both because Brando really needs it so he can sell it for money and pay off these, I think they're Russians. So somebody he owes a lot of money to who's going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've also got Ed Norton who approaches and basically is an inside man at this museum. And he got a job pretending to be mentally challenged. Huh. Um, and basically befriended this old man and has built this persona and he's the inside man at the facility. He finds out about the scepter that they're getting ready to get rid of. And it's in a, it, it, it was in a piano leg. And they've discovered it and put it in a safe. There's wrinkles all throughout this. But not only is that pretty ingenious, like if you're if you're it's almost prestige levels of commitment to the bit, right, mm-hmm. to work at this job for weeks as a mentally challenged guy when <laughs> you're not. Um, but the, my favorite part of the movie is uh, De Niro says he finally invites Ed Norton over to his shop and he's like, you know, come here, I'm going to show you how I'm going to get the safe open. And he like flips pages in this book, but you don't see what they're looking at. And Ed Norton goes, is that even possible? And De Niro goes, just physics. And you don't (laughs) get a payoff from that for 45 more minutes until they're in the middle of the heist and you see De Niro and he basically drills a hole in the safe and then high pressures water into it so that the safe literally explodes from too much pressure inside. Wow. And that's how he gets it open is it basically blows the door off with water pressure. Wow. Uh, But I love the reveal, the way they sort of tease this mysterious method. Yeah. 
Um, I think you'd enjoy the film. Yeah. Um, I remember when it came out, and it was during that period of time. It was in 2001 where uh, I was not working at a movie theater. Mm -hmm. And so, like, a lot of times movies like that, which didn't get great reviews or anything, um, you know, just just slipped past. And I haven't to this day seen it. Yeah, Ed Norton's really good in it. De Niro is basically playing De Niro from Heat without assault rifles yeah and brando's just brando give me my paycheck he's literally like sitting in a sauna with a towel draped over his head for like half of his scene <laughs> well, i think that was sort of the um <laughs> colonel kurtz thing. i think that was sort of the uh, the idea of behind the movie too was to get those generations of actors yeah. in there and everything weird though that they got frank oz to direct the movie mm -hmm. it is um, a weird pick as, as, i don't know i don't know what the story is behind that and I, and i think there was a lot of trouble on that set because there's no it's not a comedy no at all i mean it's it's not a super it's a light-hearted heist movie i guess in the sense that i don't think anybody dies or anything like that mm -hmm. um but it's not a comedy but it is you do get that uh, de niro brando vito corleone yeah. uh, thing that's pretty awesome yeah. yeah and again it's one of norton's better performances i think because he gets to play basically two different characters um so that, check yeah, it out. i may anyway. have to watch that movie what uh, we got any other cues for your a-hole um mm -hmm. if you could cut one scene from a film to improve it what scene would it be and why wow i got the answer Let's hear it. Y'all can just like pack it in. Oh, right. Okay. It's the return of George Clooney in fucking Gravity. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you could cut that fucking scene and have her figure out how to get back, like have some sort of revelation through her oxygen deprived brain, triggering some sort of memory, uh, which she actually did it just didn't have to involve George Clooney. Yeah. It was just a reason in an otherwise great movie to have your prestige actor come back into the scene completely implausible silly um unnecessary that is what i would remove yeah That's they could have answer. simply gone back to her like a flashback to her training or something exactly. and had somebody just kind of casually say you know launching is landing or whatever the hell the, yeah. is landing is launching i don't remember which one it is but it's one of those <laughs> yeah. um but yeah instead of him going in and being like you see this is what you do and now i'm gonna exit the picture again touch <laughs> um i've talked about this scene before um in the natural where uh, bump bailey played by michael madsen mm -hmm. there's a uh you know a problem for the film is that roy hobbs isn't going to be able to get into the get into the lineup as long as bump bailey who plays right field and again why can't they just put roy hobbs in left field <laughs> uh, a lot of little decisions here that don't make a lot of sense but uh the scene really takes you out of the movie for a bit when they kill Bump Bailey, basically. <laughs> he is having the game of his life. Bump Bailey's got a, a talking to from Pop Fisher. And like, uh, and he's like, all right, well, you know, I better start playing, playing okay, because Roy Hobbs is going to take my job. And he's like, awesome that day. And then like a, a fly ball in the outfield, he runs into the fence and he dies. <laughs> and uh, and like it, it, it just doesn't need to be there. And in fact, they could have had him run into the fence and just have a season injury, ending injury. Yeah. They didn't have to kill. <laughs> killed him. They killed him, and they even have like a scene where a biplane goes over the over the field. And and pours his ashes over it and all that i mean this is like a movie that i adored for for uh, you know like 
like i love baseball and i love that movie to death but man when you're looking at it as an adult you're like you didn't have to kill bump bailey <laughs> you know, there were like three or four different ways you could have w- written roy hobbs into the story and i don't know how the book goes i think the book is way different from the movie yeah um you didn't need that anyway good good i almost went the turning of the cranes in the amazing spider-man yeah which is a movie mm-hmm. that i like already and i know a lot of people don't uh but that really is the silliest thing in that movie <laughs> that really pulls you out the most. But I decided not to do that. Let's see how I cheated and uh-huh. just gave you a second answer. I'm going with my current most watchable movie, The Martian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are two scenes that drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've talked about one, and it's it's at the end when he gives his rant about how he's a space pirate. No, oh, yeah. I think I talked about this because he, he has contact with NASA, but in the movie he says, I'm going to go... Take over the Aries for math. No one has explicitly given me permission to do. Yes, they have. You're fucking emailing them. They know yeah. exactly. They told you how to take it apart. <laughs> in the in the book, he has lost contact with NASA at this point. Ah, and he really is taking over the craft without permission. Yeah, but they wanted to squeeze that pirate line in, so they put it in the movie. Drives me crazy. Right. But- I mean, and and to add to that, though, also it's that that's initially not what they want him to do. They want. Um, they want um, to have him be there for the food and supplies that show up right. and all that, and uh, and the the Hermes is supposed to just go to Earth like like it right. always was supposed to do. Once uh, Sean Bean does his thing, you know Jeff Daniels is like get him back, get him back alive, yeah. basically, <laughs> and okay, they're on board with it at that point. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so now my real answer. Now mm-hmm. that I've given you two fake answers. <laughs> Um, when they discover that Watney's still alive, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, Mackenzie Davis mm-hmm. uh, who's told to check the satellites. She looks at it and sees a couple of things are different, realizes he's still alive. And the next scene is Jeff Daniels, Vincent Kapoor, the the press person, which is Kristen Wiig, uh, and Mackenzie Davis. There's four of them there. And it's the scene starts. And uh, Jeff Daniels is like, how sure are you? And Vincent Kapoor goes, 100%. And he goes, prove it to me. He goes, all right, right here. The solar panels have been cleaned. And Teddy, Jeff Daniels goes, they could have been cleaned by wind. Like, he's so (laughs) dismissive. And then they're like, okay, well, check this out. Uh, The rover, too, has moved. He's like, well, maybe Captain Lewis, you know, forgot to log a move before they left the planet. Mm -hmm. And then this scene takes a left turn because... Uh, Christian Wiggs like, well, why don't we just ask Captain Lewis on the Hermes? Let's get on Capcom and ask her right now. And Jeff Daniels is like, no, if Watney's still alive, we don't want the Ares crew to know. How could you not tell them? Well, they might be devastated to find out they left him there alive. They have dangerous space travel ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And then Kristen Wiig goes, I'm sorry, guys. You do not realize the shit show that we are in for right now. Hello, world. Remember the astronaut we killed and had a big funeral for? It turns out he's alive and we left him on Mars. Sorry. Our bad. <laughs> Sincerely, NASA. And that becomes the primary issue. Yeah. The PR, yeah. it immediately shifts the whole scene. And Jeff Daniels still has not been won over in this argument <laughs> yeah. that Watney's even alive. He asks two pointed questions, doesn't get satisfactory answers. And then we shift to how are we going to spin this PR wise? <laughs> yeah. And it, it drives me crazy yeah, because the, it's just not how human interaction would go. Yeah. Well, that's the the PR thing in this is is a, a weird thing about the Martian. It, it is a real frustrating thing. Like, yeah. The uh, the the one where the he says bring Watney back alive and yeah. that's like apparently some horrible thing yeah. to say <laughs> like 
like you don't say bring him back alive and yeah. they're like why why and they never explain well, it the reason yeah. he would give is it reminds people he might die well, but it's yeah. still just a silly thing to worry about yeah that's what i'm saying everybody is thinking it it's not like you say you know anything else is going to make this i mean that that's- no that that drives me crazy when i used to work at barnes and noble they part of their corporate training or their bookseller training was to say when you talk to somebody on the phone and they say thank you do not say no problem because if you say no problem that leads them to think there may have been a problem yeah come on you have to say you're welcome and when i worked for kroger i was a manager for kroger for like i don't know 10 months shitty job nice company um (laughs) the you weren't allowed to use the word problems like if you had all your ac go out that was an opportunity (laughs) an opportunity to improve the shopping experience by having the ac fixed oh every problem or mistake was just an opportunity it was just brainwash attempt to try and basically get you optimistically thinking and proactively think didn't work Mm -hmm. we we all did air quotes around opportunity whenever the boss (laughs) wasn't around well it's like uh the regal and the suggestive selling which i'm sure suggestive selling has the same sort of deal everywhere that you go but the uh, the idea was never to say would you like anything else it was would you like nachos or yeah. snickers with this today <laughs> you know give them an actual thing a tangible thing to well now they're even more strict right because every time i go now at regal first the the girl has to pull out a pizza box would yeah. you like to try a pizza today no i don't want that bullshit mm-hmm. she puts it away i order a small coke she's got to pull out the small and the medium cup would you like <laughs> to get this much more for 25 cents mm-hmm. i'm like no i ordered the small on purpose i <laughs> yeah. know i'm getting ripped off but i i don't want to have to pee in the middle of the movie yeah. anyway so they're making them jump through even more hoops these days yeah all right so uh that'll do it for this uh sincast keep going to soundcloud and giving us your thoughts hey Hey, I want everybody to play along with us. It, you know, it's fun. Print out a bracket, fill it out on the Imger page. Um, <laughs> do what Imger, Imger, what is it? Imger? Just look in the link in the description on SoundCloud. Look at the link in the description. It's some on garbled. It's like a YouTube video link. I don't have any fucking clue what that Imger link is. <laughs> HQ slash two six nine. No, go to that and play along with us. Uh, and send us your picks, man. Like I'll, I'll look at. Uh, we'll all look at uh, what you got and uh, compare. Send us uh, your picks, picks, but not picks of your dicks. Yeah, don't send mm-hmm, dick pics. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the beginning of my next rap no, song. No, see right now, there. you definitely don't want to put that in the podcast. You're going to get dick pics. <laughs> yeah, don't send us pickle pics. Right. Uh, send us uh, actual like pictures of your bracket. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think. If you vehemently disagree with some of our picks, let us know. If you think they're awesome, I hope you let us know too. But my penis is my bracket. See, that's where. See, we're getting back there. <laughs> It's um, like my voice is my passport. That's right. My voice is <laughs> my passport. Verify <laughs> me. Um, anyway, uh, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasends.com. Because, you know, I like to social media eyes. Yeah. Show us your box. That's Show right. us your box. Absolutely. <laughs>
Hey, that's nothing dirty about that unless you make it dirty. Get elbow deep in that nature box. You're the the one who made it dirty, okay? Show us your natural box. Just because I say box doesn't mean that you should immediately start thinking of other things. Um, So yeah, anyway, go to naturebox.com slash syncast. We're going to get fired. We are going to get off, baby. 50% off. God, I've just fucking nosedived this whole damn thing. <laughs> I, I can't say nice things. Yesterday, I walked in, my wife came home from the grocery with, I'm getting off track, with a turkey breast so that we could cook it and have a healthy meal sometime uh. this week. And I said, oh, Margie, you came and you found me a turkey on my vacation away from working. And she didn't know what I was talking about, as usual. Oh, fuck, I broke the thing. You broke the fucking thing? I just think it's, I've always found it hilarious in Die Hard with a Vengeance when they're tied together that they don't have a name for the thing that actually breaks them out of their handcuffs. So they just keep calling it the thing. <laughs> and so Samuel Jackson's like, oh, fuck, I broke the, th- I dropped the thing. <laughs> and Bruce Willis, you dropped the fucking thing? <laughs> that movie goes on forever. Yes, it does. Oh my God! You, I, it was on a few weeks ago. I was casually watching it, and I was just, man, I forgot how long this fucking ending is. Yeah, because he gets to the what is it, the big like warehouse hangar thing, and then that takes fucking forever. Yeah, right? there's a there's a boat thing a that boat takes thing. forever, and then the warehouse thing that takes forever. You know, what movie takes forever is um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. You think there's kind of a like a coda. Where it could it could have ended like before because it's that that weird I like the movie a lot but it's got that weird like Gary Oldman scene you know where, where he's like, trying to blow up the building that the apes are on yeah and without like the dude um, Jason Clark just like you know grabs the gun and it's like, yeah <laughs> here's what I have to rather than just like telling him because they don't know anything yeah and I don't think we need that parallel human conflict because I think. Koba fighting Caesar atop mm-hmm. the building was dramatic enough, and that was the true hero and villain of the movie. Yeah. Humans are just kind of bystanders. Yeah. I think it's better than um, Rise. I, I think really it is, like too. Rise. Yeah. And then War looks pretty good. I hope that fucking trailer line where Woody Harrelson says, it will be a planet of apes. I know. I hope that's not in a goddamn movie. Yeah. I yeah. really do, because that's... I don't even know how that gets scripted. Like... <laughs> Seriously, Jesus! <laughs> this is that's that's worse than the suicide. What are we? Some kind of suicide squad? <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed, but at least in the comments um, on our videos, whenever whenever there's like an ex machina or something similar, or not an ex machina, um, uh, and cre- roll credits, a lot of people have been coming in and using that line from Suicide Squad, but putting the other movie in it. Oh, so like, what are we? Some kind of schindler's list or whatever you know what i mean like whatever it happens to be chris left yeah he's just like yeah you guys take care of this like george clooney in the descendants he's in flip-flops running down the street awkwardly he's running after the construction workers <laughs> oh, i just watched man. the descendants again man i fucking love that movie it's so good i love it it's it's got it's got a lot of feels and matthew lillard and i don't i'm i'm not annoyed by him Oh no! That's yeah, he, pretty rare. he toned it way down. Yeah, well, it's take. It took him three decades to learn how. Yeah, but I love it. It's Judy Greer in that, right? Yeah, 
I always forget her name. I always call her the girl who flashes everybody on Arrested Development. I don't know if I saw that. Huh? I don't know if I saw that. Arrested Development? I mean, I saw like some of Arrested She's Development. She's Kitty, the secretary that has like five different episodes where she like, oh yeah, well, you, will you be able to forget these? And she lives, <laughs> and she's apparently got like really fucked up wonky breasts because they never show them, but everybody's all like, no, no, put them, <laughs> put them away. Fucked <laughs> up wonky boobs. Judy Greer is my jam, man. That's that's mm-hmm. my that's like like my ideal girl almost. Yeah, I don't know her obviously, but like. <laughs> Not yet, but uh, but yeah, she's uh, a lot like her aunt Pam. Yeah, they just like just like her aunt Pam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember that Seinfeld where Jerry's dating Pam, but he's not Gaga, <laughs> and then Kramer falls in love with her, and he's like Pam. Pam. <laughs> I just like saying a name, Pam, Pam, Pam. That's the one where they do. Cyrano de Bergerac and Newman feeds Kramer the poem because she's a librarian. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure if I've ever seen that. He imbibed her glistening smell is that a- just before the other shoe fell. <laughs> is that a later season one? Um, I think so because it's I, yeah because George I think then later reads that same poem to the board of Susan's foundation. So it would have been a season or two after Susan died. Yeah. There was a point where uh, Seinfeld was on, it was obviously on Thursdays, mm. um, but like towards its last few seasons, I was always working on Thursday mm. and I never recorded it or anything like that it, on the old VCRs. That's right. Those those old contraptions. Yeah. Um, that don't play British tapes. That's right. They don't play British tapes. <laughs> Stupid. I know. <laughs> Stupid, Stupid limey tapes. <laughs> no i wasn't like i don't think i had gotten to the point of missing that show really after a certain amount of time like uh i had i'd watched it from the beginning and Mm -hmm. i watched like the four or five seasons and then when i started working thursday nights i just never i never watched and then now that it's on reruns every time i turn it on a rerun or whatever it's usually in those first five seasons and the, uh, the other seasons, I'm like, oh, I've never seen this one before. It's a lot of just different, like, and I just, I don't know. I don't get wrapped up in it. Mm. But maybe those later seasons are better than I give them credit for. So I think it was pretty good. I mean, it, it obviously evolves. It's a different kind of show in season eight than it is in season three. But mm-hmm. I thought everything right up until the finale was still pretty Me awesome. <laughs> you know, that's why the finale was such a letdown, because it was going out on a high note. They mm-hmm. were still at the top of their game, yeah. except for that lazy, lame-ass idea. Yeah, it was. Surprising. Yeah, I can't even watch it. Like, if the rerun comes on and it's that one, I'm just like, no. Yeah, no. I, I went through it again just recently. And, like, Jackie Childs gets with uh, Sidra. Yeah. <laughs> like they're real and they're spectacular. <laughs> I do like Jackie Childs. The I did watch well, uh, late one night this week. Oh, when I was waiting for the the podcast review, uh, the one where Kramer ends up being dressed like a pimp. Oh yeah, and oh, he's yeah. like strong arm. He's got the technical dream coat on. <laughs> but like, there's a wig master. But the the greatest part is where he's like, you know, he, he looks down. He's like, it's a condom. And uh, and he goes to the parking lot master guy, and he's like, "Hey man, are you turning tricks?" He's like, "Man, you walk through the city, hey, it happens. You you get in your car, condom." <laughs> the uh, that that series finale thing has that that just internally long uh, court 
room yeah. scene yeah. where it's basically like a uh, greatest hits yeah. or a, one a of those memory call. episodes yeah. or whatever. It is kind of funny to see Jerry Stiller jump up and say, 1.5 million for Hideki Arambu! <laughs> 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 whatever the amount is. It's just funny because Steinbrenner's on the stand. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, $5 million for Hideki Arambu! <laughs> <laughs> and in an earlier one, when he comes over to his house, Frank is like, why did you trade Jay Buner? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sadness. Yes. Oh, this meal. Fuck me. I actually had trouble with the 90s one because I was like, what typifies oh, the 90s? Reality bites. It's fucking yeah. almost, well, three-fifths of the, the posters in here from the 90s. and. It, I don't know. It's just so spread out yeah. that it's hard to get something that like encapsulate. You don't want to say fucking reality bites or. Yeah, that's what I just said. That's literally what I just said. Oh, was that what you said? Yes, I'm sorry. But it's all right. I'm glad you deride. I my was answer. counting. I was doing fractions. On that the movie is 90s as fuck. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that movie is a time capsule. It is tremendously <laughs> 90s, especially when they do the whole thing when she finally gets to make her movie, <laughs> and the MTV has come in and like MTVified it or yeah. whatever. You changed pizza. my art. Pizza, pizza, pizza. <laughs> that I think is uh, 90s as fuck. I like that movie a lot. That, well, that's another bad opinion you have. It's good, man. It's not. Why not? No, it's not. no, it's 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 underrated. I wouldn't say mm. that it's bad. Um, I recently, well, recently is probably months ago, but I recently saw a movie and it was, I I liked it better than I remember. I did too. I liked it better when I saw it, like probably six months ago, than I did when I. When I initially saw it, does it. play almost the entire "All I Want Is You" by U two. Like it almost yeah. plays the entire freaking. I think it might that montage at the end before he shows up out mm-hmm. of the taxi. Mm-hmm. I love that song. Mm-hmm. All I want is you. It's a great, great fucking soundtrack. Lisa Loeb, man, that was peak Loeb. That song oh, was that. massive. Whoa, that's good Loeb. <laughs> that song was massive. It was huge. I love that video. I don't remember the video. It's her in the house, and uh, it's basically like kind of just tracking her. She goes to room to room. She's got oh. those wonderful horn-rimmed glasses and everything. She's That's the same glasses the secretary woman at the Monster Factory wears in Monsters, Inc. Oh, okay. Your late <laughs> was asking. You forgot to fill out your timesheet. Whatever that lady. She's got the same kind of glasses that lady wears. Yeah, horn-rimmed. I, don't, I didn't know what they're called. Poor Lisa Loeb didn't have... A really a career after that though well she had like a reality show i think so well, well, she where a- she where she wanted to find a husband right yeah something oh, like that yeah well, she's lisa Loeb yeah, is single and right. looking or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I, mean, I hope she changed the glasses i'm telling you my sharona gets a bad rap for being an 80s like kind of like stowaway or throwaway but i think it's i think it's a really good song that's actually a fun scene in reality bites you stay (laughs) i feel like we can end up talking jeremy into reality bites let's not i uh signed up for my wife and i to get nature box personally at home Mm -hmm. um and i took a flyer because my wife likes to try you know interesting weird healthy snacks and so i thought well what what kind of frou-frou weird thing sounds bad to me that she might like (laughs) It's a great place to start. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right.